spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. All right, everybody, welcome in. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton TSPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. Happy Wednesday. This week is flying by. Uh, I mean, it feels like the national championship game was like forever ago, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, we spent so much time talking about it yesterday, previewing it on Monday, and then, of course, the NFL playoffs going on. Like, there is so much happening right now. We haven't even gotten into our local basketball teams who are, you know, in action throughout this week. The Dayton Flyers back in action tonight. Wright State back on ESPNU coming up on Friday. Uh, they got an undefeated, at least in conference play, Cleveland State team coming in. So we haven't gotten to some of our local teams, which we'll have plenty of time to dive into the college basketball world. Uh, we're going to have Joe Lenardi on here in the next week. Uh, he has a new book coming out that we're excited about that he's uh, sending to the station. I can't wait to get that in my hand, but we're excited to talk with him. We'll have Jay Billis on in the next couple of weeks. So uh, Clark Kellogg, I mean, all of our college basketball analysts that we like to go to uh, throughout the college basketball season, we're going to be getting to that point here in the near future. I promise I have not forgotten about college basketball. I got some emails yesterday saying you guys have been totally ignoring college basketball i'm like the, the damn browns are in the playoffs is the nfl playoffs the buckeyes are in the national championship game college football playoffs national title game nfl playoffs browns getting their first win and first appearance relax i mean three hours just isn't enough i guess i, I mean maybe you know it four is hour show for, no <laughs> five hours no no <laughs> we good i You're saw right. no. by the way in cleveland it is i can't remember what station i don't know if it's their espn affiliate in cleveland or not there's a host in cleveland yes that is did i and i think he's it's either today or he did it yesterday 24 straight hours yeah uh emmett golden um he was on the air starting at 3 p.m on saturday all the way up until 3 p.m on sunday oh so it's done okay yeah, that's yeah. what he did okay yep. mm-hmm. that was cool so what was the no sleep till the playoffs. Yeah, no, no sleep, sleep till, till the playoffs. Okay, so that's what it, it was heading into Sunday night's yeah. matchup. Okay, so literally, uh, Golden, you said, what was his yeah, name? Yeah, Emmett Golden. Emmett Golden, again, sports radio host in Cleveland, did t- a 24-hour show. Woo-wee. 24-hour show. Uh, you know? Yeah, uh, I, uh, the, is, uh, the station's uh, uh, WKNR. is their ESPN affiliate. Okay, that's right. I knew it wasn't the fans. So and that's why uh, is, um, Tony Rizzo, like, you know, I'm from Cleveland or whatever, so I grew up uh, listening to Tony Rizzo. Like, he's, like... A big time DJ jock up there. So like, when I found out that was happening, I was checking in on it. Like, man, is he really gonna make it? Like, and I would check in like periodically. And then like at ten o'clock, after he'd been on for like seven plus hours or whatever, like you could hear it in his voice. Like, he didn't think he was gonna make it. But like when I checked in, like right when they hit twenty four hours or whatever, he was cracking beers the whole nine, man. So it was pretty cool. Wait, we could we can crack beers on the radio? I, uh, they did. I don't know if we can. Might as well try it. Might as well try it. All right. Uh, you know, yeah, David Kendrick on Facebook, he said, yeah, they had callers from all around the world. I mean, they, they hyped it up. But that pretty 24 straight hours, no sleep till the playoffs. Uh, can, you know, that, that's pretty dang cool. But, yeah, man, like there's so much going on Don't right now. Don't you get no ideas, Kenner? No. I, I, first of all, for whatever reason, like I, I go to sleep pretty early. For three straight nights, I've been up to like 2 in the morning. Started breaking bad again last night for whatever reason. Come on, man. How many times I got to tell you, man, you have to watch The Wire, man. Watch The Wire. You will not be disappointed. Yeah, just because, you know, crack on the TV, Netflix right there, boom. They, most watch, just click that again. But about every couple months, I just randomly start breaking bad and I watch the whole series in about a week. 
and I already got through seasons one and a half last night. Up till two in the morning. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Real quick before we go to last. Oh, hold on. Now, here. Doug Toby's, man. You guys are totally ignoring baseball. I know, Doug. I know he's doing <laughs> Before we get to sports, I just started a new show last night, Queen's Gambit. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's about chess, but it's not what you think. It's a, a young girl who learns how to play chess, but it's it's crazy. So it's, 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 it's about chess, but it's not what you think, but it's about yes. a girl learning to play chess. Yes, but that's the short version. It is real good. It's real good. I, I highly suggest it. And I hope when you like when you tell people, hey, doing like a sports radio show. Well, anything. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, it's we, we talk sports. It's not what you think. We talk sports, and then there you I'm go. I'm telling that you, that was a horrible I, description. Like I, that, not I, one I, person anything, is going to go watch it based on what you just said. Anything that I tell you about this show is going to give away part of the show. Is I don't want to give any spoilers. Like she's uh, learning how to play chess, but like she lives in a group home. That's all I can give you. Hmm. And by the way, Ozark. Yes. Oh, yeah, and Chris Schulp says, by the way, Queen's Gambit is good. So See? sign of approval, you know, stamp of approval there. Uh, Catch up, Kenner. Ozark is not going to come out till 2022. That kid is going to be like 20 That's years old. That's what I, yeah. <laughs> and like, because all of this is supposed to be happening within a one, two year period. Yeah. And, the, and the kid, like, I mean, he ages faster than, you know, Urban Meyer at Ohio State, right? So like, I, I mean, it's it's amazing. See, you know, that, that kid, I mean, he's going to be 25 with three kids by the time we get to that damn final season of Ozark. Jonah. Uh, but yeah, I love that damn show. I've been waiting for it. Uh, Yellowstone is actually supposed to come out in June now. So all the shows that I, you know, usually just binge watch and I'm crazy about, those are all coming. Anyways, all right, let's uh, let's switch to sports, shall we? No, let's talk TV. Not yet. <laughs> let's talk politics. So what do you think? No, I'm just joking. Just joking. All right, uh, lots to get into today. So interestingly enough, uh, you and I talked about, you know, you, we briefly skimmed over the Justin Fields topic yesterday about what's next for Justin Fields. Uh, you know, he hasn't, we know that he's going to the NFL, or do we? An interesting article came out, 24-7 Sports, about the comments made on a uh, NFL draft podcast, ESPN's Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. And it's interesting because... The take that they have is is that Justin Fields should return to Ohio State for another season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. says, I think it's worth a minute or two discussion as to whether Justin Fields would be better off going back to Ohio State for the 2021 season. Uh, my problem is, is I see both sides to this conversation. I'm not angry one way or another. I definitely, and I put that out on Facebook today, I said when this article came out, it's going to anger a lot of people. Um, but I actually see where they're coming from. But at the same time, what would benefit Justin Fields more, Kev? If, let's say, and let me pull up, by the way, I, I should have already had this pulled up, the NFL draft order, okay? So um, I'm pulling that up now, so I'm just going to stall, and I'm going to be saying stupid things for the next 15 seconds while my computer loads the NFL draft order, getting a question about the Yellowstone, uh, where is Yellowstone going to air, uh, blah, 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 wasting well, time. while you do that, let me say this. Okay, cool. Take Anybody want to shout out the Facebook page? Give us three shows that you're watching right now. So right now I'm watching Queen's Gambit, This Is Us, and uh, Atlanta. So those are the three shows that I'm currently watching. Hit up the Facebook page. Tell us the shows that you're watching. And uh, that's what we want to do, man. We want to talk about some TV, man, and obviously NFL. All right, perfect. You stalled just long enough for me to be able to pull this up. So Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, this NFL Draft podcast, you know, they, they, they got to the topic of Justin Fields. Both agree that Justin Fields should return to Ohio State or that he should at least 
have a minute or two discussion on it. That Ryan Day, uh, you know, another year with Ryan Day, a regular, regular offseason. Okay, a regular offseason, starting the season on time, a regular non-conference schedule. Just, I, you know, and I've and I talked about this with a couple people on Facebook today. Um, I feel, the guys I feel the most bad for are Justin Fields and, of course, Sean Wade, the two that pushed so hard for there to be a season during this pandemic, and ultimately the two that pushed the hardest are the two that lost the most because Justin Fields, I think, took a hit draft grade-wise. Um, Sean Wade took a hit draft grade-wise going from a potential top 10 pick to maybe a second or third round pick. Who knows? My point is is that Justin Fields, I think, is going to be a good NFL quarterback. How good, we do not know. We're just all assuming at this point. I wonder, though, what is best for Justin Fields, Kev? Is it better for a Justin Fields to maybe fall to a Denver Broncos team, a good organization? Okay. Is it good, you know, at number nine? Um, you, you know, you have San Francisco at number 12, good front office, good, strong, stable coaching staff. All right. You know, you can continue going back at the Vikings. How about the Patriots at number 15? We could talk about Justin Fields returning to kind of fine-tune some things, but I think Justin Fields would be better off coming out in this year's draft, even with a with a worse draft grade than what we had anticipated. I don't think Justin Fields going to the Lions is, is a great thing. Uh, I don't think Justin Fields going to the Jets is a great thing. I think that's where his career can go to die. Um, <laughs> You know, and it almost worked out for for Dwayne Haskins a few years ago when he continued to drop. I'm like, this, everyone's freaking out and mad. I'm like, well, this is actually a good thing. The further you drop in the draft, the you, usually the better situation you're going to end up in because the further you go back in the draft, that means those teams have won quite a few games and they're not as far off as the teams drafting at the top. Of course, Washington just so happens to be the team that's right there to take Dwayne Haskins. And Dwayne Haskins has his own problems, but that's a conversation for later. Let's say Justin Fields drops back in the draft. Let's say he ends up going to a San Francisco or a New England Patriots. That is better to me. That is more beneficial to me for a Justin Fields in this year's draft than going back to Ohio State for another year where, yes, he could potentially win a Heisman. Yes, he could potentially win another Big Ten title, another maybe a, you know maybe win a national championship. I would love it. I would love to see Justin Fields back in the Scarlet and Gray playing some more games in the shoe. However, I don't think that Justin Fields returning for another year, risking maybe having some of the same problems he did this year, and then being taken high in next year's draft, is going to help him out. I don't, you know, if he's upset and everyone's upset because of oh, the Jets, he, you know, he may not go to the Jets at number two. He's too good to drop that far back. Dropping far back for Justin Fields is actually probably a good thing this year, Kev. Yeah. I, I really do think that, no, I disagree with Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. I believe he should come out this year. I believe that even if he falls in the draft, the more he falls in the draft, although it won't feel good on draft night, big picture career-wise, going to the Patriots, going to the Niners, going to organizations like that, that's going to pay off more than returning to Ohio State for one more year just to ending up being drafted by the Jets or another bad organization again next year. That's my two cents. Yeah, those are things he can't control where he goes. You know, and coming out of high school, he had total control of where he wanted to go. He was a super recruit. Everybody wanted him. He had the decision to make. When you come out of school, you have no choice. You have to go to the team that drafts you, and there's no guarantee that you're going to end up in a good situation. You know, who's to say that he won't end up in a just as bad a situation if he comes back to Ohio State next year and plays a great season and he's the number one pick and he end up going to the Jets anyway. You know what I'm saying? So you have that aspect. And obviously something we talked about yesterday with 
COVID. Like, I know we have a vaccine. I know that everyone's hoping that next season will be some type of normalcy. Get the band back out there. Get the mascots and cheerleaders. Everybody's high-fiving and all that type of stuff. But the unknown is still there. The unknown of the season 100% going to happen. The the actual off season because that's really when you get better as a player during the off season. You know, you got time to do a whole spring practice and everything like that. And also another thing we also got to think about, there's unforeseen circumstances if he decides to come back because all these other five-star quarterbacks sitting behind him, vying to be the next guy at Ohio state, how long they going to wait their turn? Like we see dudes jumping in the portal like that. Like, man, they want to get on the field. Like, Okay, I'll sit out this year. I'll sit behind the guy that's that's the man this year. But next year, I want to vie for the starting spot. If Fields comes back, there's no vibing for the spot. You're the backup. Sit there and watch. Yeah, and, and I joked with someone on Facebook earlier uh, with that situation. I'm like, well, whoever transfers out of Ohio State, the Buckeyes <laughs> need to make sure that whoever transfers out, that it's not another Joe Burrow and a Heisman quarterback walking out the door. That's all Ohio State and Ryan Day has to make sure of. Uh, so getting some reaction on Facebook. Again, we are live on Facebook. Go to Facebook. Search the Justin Kinner Show. The discussion we're having now, ESPN's Mel Kuyper, Todd McShea, NFL Draft Podcast, um, You know, both getting to the topic of Justin Fields, saying that they believe – he should return to Ohio State for another year. First of all, the dude had a couple questionable games this year, but I, I don't think that that's why he should come back another year. Like, I want him to come back. The fan in me says, oh, yes, I would love to see Justin Fields another right. year. But if we, I get tired of when, you know, we're talking as if he just totally fell flat on his face. Right. The first three games of the season, he had a completion percentage. I mean, he had more touchdowns than incompletions. All right. The dude was just flat out balling to start the season. Then the inconsistencies as the season became inconsistent. I don't think there's any, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. As the season started getting bumpy, so did his performances. All right. right. Prepping for opponents, game planning for opponents, practice during the week, everything became chaotic. Yeah. Right? That's not an excuse. That's the reality of it. That's why I said the two guys I feel the worst for are Justin Fields and Sean Wade. They fought harder than any other players in college football to have a season for their team, and then ultimately they get bit in the ass more. They lost the most because they fought so hard to play. Questionable, you know, the bumps along the way ended up creating some situations that weren't exactly, uh, you know, solid for them. But the bottom line is, is that no, I do not think he needs to return another season. Do I think it would hurt? It wouldn't hurt. I just don't think it's necessary. Um, now, I did see an interesting comment here. Tim Menick on Facebook, Kev says, uh, dropping in the draft is a big hit in the pocketbook. That is the question. What's more important to him? Absolutely. Um, but that's the thing. If your if your big goal is a payday, which most mm-hmm. people's is. Yeah. Which, by the way, speaking of payday, we got a 10K payday keyword coming up for you here in just a little bit. Um, but if your goal is a payday, go to the draft, go to the Jets, enjoy your four years. Dwayne Haskins could even make <laughs> it too. Um, and, and there you go. And I don't, you know, who knows what Justin Fields' NFL career is going to be. Or go out this year knowing you probably aren't going to make the top, top dollars at the top of the draft, possibly. Who knows? The Jets could still take him at number two, Kev. We have no idea here. Um, He could end up making top, or, you know, making a little less money, but you're going to make more money big picture overall because if your first four years with the Niners or Patriots are turning into potential, you know, 10, 11 win seasons, uh, playoff appearances, Super Bowls potentially, you're going to get paid. You're going to get your money in the back end big picture. So, no, Tim, that's a good point, too, knowing his motives. You know, if if it's just money... Who knows? But also, that's not a bad thing. If money's his motive, it doesn't make him selfish. <laughs> right. It doesn't make him delusional. It says, hey, I don't want to come back and risk getting hurt. And that could be the big question as well. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even talk about that. Like, that's the most obvious thing in the world. Like, it is football. People still get hurt. People, 
these young guys in college, they have to take out those insurance policies on themselves just in case they do get hurt. So, yeah, that is, that's a big thing. Yeah, and, I, you know, Keith on Facebook says there's nothing wrong uh, later in the draft, nothing wrong with that. I agree. To me, I'm looking at playing for the Niners or Patriots. I'd rather play for them than the, than the Jets. The Jets are a disaster. And if, if, if Justin Fields does have some flaws, how can you trust that the Jets are going to bring him in and, and iron out some of those issues right. and develop him? I wouldn't want to do it. Now, we, a lot of people said the same thing about the Cincinnati Bengals, and Joe Burrow had a pretty solid mm-hmm. rookie season, and we'll see big picture how that's, you know how it's going to pan out for him there. Uh, Eric Pugh on Facebook says it's simple. Go to the draft, kill it in the combine, and he will forgo, and he will go first round. Once those numbers come in from the combine, he will rise in stock. Eric, let's be clear. I don't think that you know when we talk about his draft grade or his, his draft status taking hit, he hasn't fallen out of the top uh, out of the first round. Yeah, um, I, I think that there's just other quarterbacks or teams are going to feel more comfortable with at this point. There's more film. There's a, there's film of games that make him look questionable and, and vulnerable. That's where it's going to hurt. But Eric's right though. We've seen careers made. We've seen draft stocks shoot up because of the combine. Baker Mayfield went number one overall because of what he did at the combine. And it wasn't because of his impressive speed. <laughs> it was because of his accuracy and his ability to throw the football and the drills and everything like that, his IQ when it came to the game. So, no, Eric's right. The combine, you could, any flaws you had, the last thing people are going to remember about Justin Fields is going to be what he does at the combine. And he's a freak athlete. He has everything that you need to be an effective quarterback in the National Football League. I think he'll be fine. All right, everybody, listening to the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash right here on 1410 ESPN Radio. ESPN's Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, believe Justin Fields should return to Ohio State for another season. To be fair, I shouldn't word it that way. They said that the conversation should be had. He should consider returning. They don't think that he is a buster. They don't think that he's not going to be drafted. They're just saying because of some of the flaws that you know exposed themselves throughout the year, it's not a bad idea to at least have the conversation. What do you guys think? We've seen some of the comments on Facebook. Let's go to the phone lines, 457-9464. That's the number to call in and join in on the conversation. Kev Nash and I will step away for a few moments as we load up the phone lines one more time, 457-9464. Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay. Justin Fields should discuss returning to Ohio State for another year. Some fans might say, absolutely, I would love to see him come back. But the question is, should he? That's the conversation we're having here today on the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. Uh, Don Roberts says, Kev, Iron Resurrection, New Street Outlawed, Junkyard Empire. I've never heard of any of those. I've never heard of any of those. What channels? Yeah, uh, Don, a little (laughs) bit more. uh, Charles Tack says, Shark Tank. Cobra Kai. What the hell is Cobra Kai? What? I see those stupid commercials, the Cobra Kai commercials, and based on that commercial alone is why I don't want to watch it now. You don't? But people lost their minds when when Netflix released Cobra Kai. So Cobra Kai, you do see Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid. Wax on, wax off. Yes. Yep. So it's basically the series of that. You know, it's it's them as adults. And uh, the first two seasons released back in the day on YouTube Red. Remember YouTube Red? Yep. So they came out on YouTube Red. Eventually, Netflix bought them. And now they're on Netflix, and they just released season three of Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai is great. My dad says... Uh, I watched it in one day. He, my dad says The Wire is a great show. So, uh, see? He, he backs it up. Uh, let's see. For, uh, Chris wants to know, where is Yellowstone going to air? Yellowstone airs on... On the fire stick. On, huh? <laughs> on the fire stick, yeah. Uh, I have YouTube TV in Paramount, uh, Chris. Paramount is where Yellowstone comes on. One of the main characters is from Dayton, too. Yes. So keep that in mind. 
I, in fact, I love the show so much, I you know forgot the names of the characters. So that's why I'm just saying one of the main characters is from Dayton. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, so this happened. Oh, Queen's Gambit is good. So yeah, we're getting a lot of Queen's Gambit on there. So anyways. All right, we'll step away for a few moments. On the other side of the break, we'll pick up with this Justin Fields discussion. Uh, Kev also threw out the question, what, what are your top three shows you're watching right now? Because he's, uh, he's mad at me because I started Breaking Bad again last night. I How got, many times have you watched Breaking Bad? Probably a good six or seven times all the way through. No joke. It's the best show in the history of shows. Not even close. The storytelling, the writing. I'm literally like, I'm catching things even the seventh time through that I'm like, how did they know that seasons, four seasons from now, that that was going to come into play? Like, that's how far out the, the, the story was written. It was fantastic. I love Breaking Bad. I love Breaking it's Bad. Awesome. Breaking Ozark Bad. is awesome as Break, well. Ozark is great. Wire is great. There's a lot of great TV out there, man. But seven times, I've watched Breaking Bad all the way through three times. I watched it, uh, not when it initially came out. I end up catching it when it dropped on Netflix, like the first three seasons. So then I caught up with those, then watched them as they came out live. Then I rewatched it all at once, once it was available on Netflix. And then I finally got the wife to watch it, like, I want to say last winter. And she was like, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. She got hooked. She got hooked. She was this far, this close to falling up. But the last episode with Tuco. That's tight, tight, tight. That's what got her. She tight, tight, like, tight. And I saw that last night about <laughs> one in the morning. It's like tight, tight, tight. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Keith Tolliver. Uh, where did, man, we had all these popping at one time. Keith Tolliver says Snowfall. Yes. What is Snowfall? Oh, man. It's a TV show about the 80s in L.A. About the crack epic. Crack epic. Can I talk today? Crack Are you on crack? Epidemic. No, I'm okay. not. Okay. Not yet. Uh, the Wire and The Sopranos. So there's that. You know, I've never seen an episode of The Sopranos. Me neither. Me neither. I, I've heard it was great. I have no doubt that it's great. But yeah, Sopranos. All right, folks. We'll be back in a moment to get more of these shows coming in. We'll get to that. But more Justin Fields talking, getting some NFL stuff around the corner. Doug Toby said we're not talking baseball. I actually have a Reds discussion to have with everyone coming up here around the corner as well. Plus, we're going to grade all the quarterbacks. We're going to rank. All the quarterbacks remaining in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. We're going to rank them from first to last. That's all coming up as we close out hour number one later. Four five seven nine four six four. We'll be back in a moment. Ready to complete your degree? Ohio Dominican University offers high-demand degree completion options 100% online. Pursue your bachelor's in high-demand fields such as business, risk management, and more. Ohio Dominican's affordable tuition means an ODU degree not only... Buckeye fans, every Monday night at 6 p.m., make sure to keep it locked in right here on Dayton's home of the Ohio State Buckeyes for the Buckeye... Justin Kinner, Kev Nash, back with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. So this is crazy. Earlier today, Ari Wasserman does a great job covering the Buckeyes. Uh, he, he retweeted this. It actually has nothing to do with the Buckeyes. But um, we're, we're towing the political line here, and I promise you we'll get back to sports. But there's a sports tie-in. It, it, it's actually kind of funny if you think about it. So apparently there was some confusion. New York Times had to clear this up. The New York Times reported that Mike Leach is going to be Joe Biden's chief diversity uh, diversity and inclusion director. When they go on to describe who Mike Leach is in the article, they say Mike Leach is a former assistant to the head coach for the Chicago Bears and former head coach of the Texas Tech football team. Uh, he is going to be the chief diversity and inclusion director, which, again, when you think back to this past offseason with some of 
the insensitive comments that he made. Uh, the fact that it, when, when reading this, I'm like, oh, that's that's like the worst person that you would want for that. That, that you would want for that. Now, you said you found an article. They went and they, they there's a little confusion. Yeah, yeah obviously, yeah, obviously, correct the post, man. Yeah, like I was like, that can't be like. There has to be more than one Mike Leach. I guess this Michael Leach has the credentials. Yep. Unlike football coach Mike mm-hmm. Leach. That's like asking. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. That's like asking the juice for you know marriage counseling. What? Oh my goodness! You know who's infatuated with uh, OJ Simpson? Me. He is you, fascinating. You too. He is fascinating to me because uh. he's so disconnected to what the world sees when they see him. It's it's <laughs> insane. Um, he, hey, Twitter world, it's yours truly. That's how he saw. Like he literally, if you follow him on Twitter, I told you I reached out to him on Twitter one time, Gosh. one time, and I, I have a screenshot. I'm not joking. He responded. I, I was like. I tried to get an interview with him. I tried to get an interview with him. Keith Byers knows him. So I said, okay, I'm going to use Byers' name. I'm going to try to get him. <laughs> oh, I got to find it. I do got to find it right here. But he responded. He said, he, you know, tell Keith he says hello. And then he goes on to say that he's not doing interviews at the moment, but he will put <laughs> us on his list. Now, I get nervous when O.J. Simpson says he's, <laughs> he's putting you on his list. Jacking that makes wise. me. <laughs> that's like, like uh, but I can't remember. A Buckeye season ending and us having no freaking clue what the team is going to look like next year. The I mean, we know guys who are returning. Right. We know that Ohio State has really good receivers returning and coming in. We know that they have Trayvon Henderson, the number one running back uh, in the class, coming in. Uh, we know that they're going to have dudes. They also have an offensive line that they're going to have to replace a lot of talent. Like, I don't know. Like, again, it. we have to be fair here. I have to hold Ohio State to the same expectation for Clemson and Alabama. You don't get to use the excuse of, well, we lost a lot of talent last year. Cincinnati gets to use that excuse. LSU gets to use that excuse. A lot of programs get to use that excuse. The programs who don't get that pass cover, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, just because of the of the guys that they roll in. So uh, I, I find this offseason fascinating. Um, you know, and Justin Fields, the quicker he announces, the quicker, uh, you know, the, the quicker he announces he's going to the NFL, the better. Because I think from a content <laughs> standpoint for, for Ohio State, I have no clue who Jack Miller or CJ Stroud is. Right. We know what the, what, you know, my favorite is the, the people on the blog, blogosphere. Oh, they're going to be fine. You should hear, you know, oh, why? Because Steve in, in, in the in the Buckeye blogosphere says he's going to be fine. We're supposed to take that. We know these kids are good. That's how they got to Ohio State. But again, Tate Martell was supposed to be through the. Remember, he was supposed to be talented. We have right. no clue. Like we have no clue. We were Buckeye fans were in love with Tate Martell until the Justin Fields rumors started coming out. Then everyone's like, "Oh, forget Tate Martell." But people would have tried to convince us that Tate Martell was going to be great heading in mm-hmm. to that season. That Justin Fields was the quarterback if he had not picked Ohio State and transferred here. So. I, I, I love it. This is going to be fun. It's going to be a fun off season. The spring game. I can't tell you the last time I was excited about a spring game. Not because I think we're going to learn too much. We're going to learn. We about... were supposed to broadcast from the spring game last oh, year. Oh, yeah. We we're supposed to be at the shoe doing the show. Oh man, COVID sucks, man. <laughs> we were supposed to do a lot of cool stuff this year. Like, yeah, we we were supposed to do the show from the shoe um, for the spring game. There was a lot of cool stuff we had planned and were you know set up for. But yeah. I mean, lots to <laughs> do <laughs> like that, you know, and then got to a certain point where like, hey, look, I don't I mean, we went from doing the show from the shoe to doing the show from our living rooms. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> Unreal, man. But no, like I- I'm pumped about next season. Like we, we know the names of the guys that we are going to project to be, but we have no clue who they are. C.J. Stroud. Oh, he's going to be he's better than Jack. Miller. OK, but what's he bring to the table? How does C.J. Stroud match up to 
the quarterback at Clemson. You know, that's the one thing that Clemson, I think, feels pretty good about now. Like, that was a blessing in disguise yep. for them. When, when, when Trevor Lawrence uh, went out due to COVID, and again, Trevor Lawrence did not play for five straight weeks, the one advantage that Clemson has now is they feel comfortable. They feel very comfortable about the quarterback that they're taking into 2021. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be an Alabama aficionado. I don't know who's up after Mac Jones, you know. If, if you know, you know what I'm saying. So I don't know who's next. I don't know who's up. Uh, you know, for Ohio State, I know the names: C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller. They have more talented pieces coming in in the next couple, you know, of classes. But this is going to be fun. I promise you that much. But I'm curious, Buckeyes fans, like, you know, how do you feel right now? I think that's why it was so heartbreaking when the Big Ten announced there would be no season, Kev, because everyone knew that this class. I'm not saying it's the, you know, this is it. Everyone knows that's not it. For Ohio State, but like we know that this was as close to a for sure thing of being close to a national championship caliber team because there's a lot of question marks after the the good chunk of this class goes away. All right, I'm looking at Ohio State's depth chart. Okay, Chris Olave is a junior; he could leave. So that's one. Particular- what do you, should he leave? Man, I, just I think he needs to leave, and you know why? Because of what we we're just talking about now. We know what Jack Miller and CJ Stroud are capable of. Like we right. know what you know how good they were in high school. You have no freaking clue how they're going to translate into being a every day, every week starter. Right. So if Chris Olave comes back, he had a great chemistry. He had great uh, great chemistry with Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. How do you know that you're going to have that same chemistry with Jack Miller or CJ Stroud next year? If I'm right. Olave, I definitely go to the draft this year. However, if, if Justin Fields yeah. announces he's coming back, which is still a long shot but a possibility, I think. If I'm a lobby, I come back another year. I think he can improve his draft stock uh, if that's the case. Okay, so let's just say he goes pro. So that's one. Uh, Jameson Williams, he's only a sophomore. Uh, Gary Wilson, only a sophomore. Thayer Mumford is a senior. He's gone. Well, you know what? Actually, he could come back, but let's just play the game that they their seniors are leaving. Uh, Matthew Jones, a sophomore. Oh, I forgot real quick to interrupt you. The reason Kev said that, too, seniors, you're like, well, how can they come back? Remember, Everyone, this every player this year did not have any eligibility taken away from them. Right. This was basically a gimme year for every player out there from an eligibility standpoint. Uh, so the seniors this year are seniors next year, freshmen this year are freshmen next year, which long term can help teams and hurt teams mm-hmm. if they get backlogged at talent in certain positions. Yeah, so we'll exactly. See. That's why the transfer portal is going to be not only crazy this year, but even crazier next year. Uh, so you're looking at uh, Thayer Mumford, he's a senior, he's gone. Uh, Matthew Jones, a sophomore. Uh, Josh Myers, Dayton's own. He's a red shirt junior. It's important to remember he's a red shirt junior. So he's been at Ohio State for four years. So there's a possibility he he's a, he's a dark red shirt junior. <laughs> he's a double red shirted. Right. Like he, he's had two years that don't technically count. So. Right. Right. Uh, Wyatt Davis. He was already out of here once before. He yeah, that shocked people when back. he came back. That was cool. That so he that's came back. four. He got hurt, man. That, yeah, yeah, that that sucks. Uh. Paris Johnson, uh, he's a, only a freshman. So you look at Luke Farrell, he's a senior. Uh, Fields, say he's gone. Trey Sermon. So that's seven guys on offense. So let's look at the defense. Jonathan Cooper. Um, Haskell Garrett, senior. Pete Warner, senior. Borland, senior. Hilliard, senior. Baron Browning, senior. And Sean Wade, that's seven on. Sean Wade, if, I mean, he should come back. He should. I don't know if we want him back, but he should come back. 
No, well, so that's 14 you know, out of 22 starters got to be replaced. Sean Wade's another one that the combine is going to be key for. But so I think it was Schrodi in here said that he read an article where a scout said there may not be a combine. There wasn't right. a combine last year either, was it? No, it, they combine um, just finished. If there was a oh, it just finished. Mm-hmm. So it didn't it didn't happen after the fact, right? Because mm-hmm. if it happened last year during all the shutdown stuff, then I guarantee you, if they did it last year, they'll do it. But he's right; there may not be one this year. Who knows how all of that's going to pan out? Um, David Shaw says uh, Farrell already said that he's coming back. Uh, you know, Schrody says if Tough Borland comes back, I won't watch a game. <laughs> yeah, uh, NFL yeah. Combine uh, was February twenty third until March second, and the world basically went to. That, so it was right after that because I mean March conference, 11th, I believe for college basketball conference tournaments were just you know getting underway during that stretch. All right, but yeah, so Buckeye fans, you know. It's a tough pill to swallow what happened the other night, but the bottom line is is that when you're the Buckeyes, you don't rebuild, you reload. But even with reloading, you're going to have confidence that they're reloading, but you still have a lot of question marks. We have no clue what this roster is going to look like. We may know who the – I actually lied. We may have an idea of what the roster is going to look like, but we don't know how these guys are going to produce. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to see Trayvon Henderson come in. That's who I'm really excited to see uh, this coming up season. I'm excited to see if it's Jack Miller, C.J. Stroud. It appears it's C.J. Stroud who was getting a lot of the mm-hmm. second-team reps uh, throughout the season. Um, so we'll, we'll find all that out here you know, in the coming months and offseason heading into the spring game. And, find, and learning all that stuff. So hopefully there still is a spring game, by the way, because we're still, what, about 90 days away from that. That's still off in the distance a yeah. little bit as well. Justin Kinner, Kevin Nash with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. So I guess uh, earlier today, breaking news, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day being sought after by the NFL. I'm going to tell you why that's not news. It's just not news. The NFL being interested in Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley is not news. We'll, we'll uh, discuss when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Find the Buckeye music. We're the best. Second best. <laughs> we got best did in the national championship game. Hmm. But no, we are dating some of the Ohio State Buckeyes. I can't wait to keep Byers gets his hands around your neck. Uh, you know me. I'm, <laughs> I, I told it. I'm less. I'm less Kenner when Byers is around. Unless there's some days I feel like poking the bear a little bit, then I'll be. You know, I'll get a little gutsy. You know, and, and say certain things that I'm like. I know he's gonna just lean across his table and <laughs> smack the hell out of me. But you know. I caught part of y'all halftime report, man. I had to turn it off because I felt so uncomfortable, man. Like, the look on Byer's face, man. The look of disgust. The look of anger. Like, he wanted to go strap up out there and take some licks on some Bama players. Have you ever been around him when he's watching the game? No. He, like, he's not Keith Byers when he's watching. He's Keith Byers. Like, he's the Keith Byers when he's watching the game. Like, I mean, he's screaming at the top of his lungs at the TV. Everything. I mean... I don't. I can't imagine what he was like that night during that game, especially that first half. Mm. You know, as the game went on, it's like okay, you know, you, you know, you'd been used to a little bit. The first half, he had to be. <laughs> All right, but you just heard that uh, that uh, promo for, of course, Talking Out Loud with Sully every Thursday, an entire hour dedicated to Dayton Flyers men's basketball talk every Thursday night at 6 o'clock. The Dayton Flyers actually back in action tonight. They have Duquesne, the Flyers' six-point favorite tonight. Again, they're 6-3 and three coming off of a, a win over Davidson. Um, you know, I hate how long, you know, between games. I, I like the – so, you know, Wright State, they in the Horizon League, they do the – play the same opponent back-to-back nights. Mm-hmm. And I love that because you have a game, you know, they'll have a game Friday night, turn right back around, play again the next day. With UD, there's like quite a few, 
you know, days between games and stuff. But I hate how long between games. It drives me nuts. I'm impatient. I'm definitely impatient. Uh, but I'm excited for the game tonight. The Dayton Flyers welcoming in Duquesne again. Uh, they are a six-point favorite. Seven o'clock will be the tip-off. That is going to be on CBS Sports Network for those who are wondering if where they can watch the game. CBS Sports Network. Uh, they can watch uh, the Dayton Flyers game. Um, the 1410 ESPN Radio 10K Payday. We're giving away ten thousand. We're giving away a ten thousand dollar payday. And again, all you have to do is be listening out for the keyword and take that keyword to wingam.com and enter it for your shot to win ten thousand dollars. Kev, this hour's keyword, winning word, is tennis. Enter tennis at wingam.com. And again, it's your opportunity for a ten thousand dollar payday. I th- look, we. Not a whole lot of things that people can agree on, especially mm-hmm. sports fans. You know, it's not like politics where everyone you know agrees on everything <laughs> and everyone sees the world the same way. You know, I wish sports could be like politics where everyone gets along and everyone you know views things the same. But you know, no, no. But we can all agree that a ten thousand dollar payday would be a pretty fun thing to be a part of. Right? To, to you know. What can you do with an extra $10,000? A so, lot. <laughs> so head to wingam.com and enter the winning word tennis at wingam.com for your shot to win uh, a $10,000 payday. And not the candy bar, I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. All right, uh, 457-9464, that's the number to call in and join in on the conversation. So I tweeted this out earlier today. It drives me nuts. Um, the, ma- the main reason I hate clickbaity headlines is because I hate when I get got. I hate when I, I see a headline, I'm like, oh, no way. And then you click on it and you read the article. I'm like, well, that was stupid. Like, uh, you know, I'm reading an article earlier that, uh, that you know, look out and it has Ryan Day's picture and Ryan Day to the Eagles, question mark. And, like, so I'm like, I, I get sucked in. I'm like, oh, no way. Really? And then all it is is, well, the Eagles are interested in Ryan Day. The Eagles are interested in Lincoln Riley. The, legal, the Eagles are interested in everybody. And they should be. That's not news. Mm-hmm. You know what's news to me? The Houston Texans not interested in Eric Bieniemy, <laughs> which coincidentally enough now he is. So when that article came out last week that Deshaun Watson wanted out of Houston because they, you know they they had no interest in Eric Bieniemy, that's news. Why would an organization who needs a head coach not want Eric Bieniemy, a one of the top offensive coordinators in the league, and you have the second best quarterback in the NFL most likely? So why wouldn't you want to pair him up with that? That to me is news. The Eagles wanting Ryan Day, that's not news. You should want Ryan Day. You should want Lincoln Riley. Uh, Teams should want Urban Meyer. I said the same thing about Urban Meyer when the news was coming out, even last year. Oh, the NFL's interested in Urban Meyer. They should be. Why wouldn't you be? That's not news. You know what's news? Urban Meyer interested in the NFL. Now that's news. Mm-hmm. Now you have my attention. It's like, oh man, Urban's interested in coaching. And cool. I'm seeing rumors circulating today that Urban could potentially sign the deal today. By the way, with the Jaguars, who wow. knows? Um, so th- I, I hate articles like that. Uh, you know, John Clark, I guess out of, out of Philly, says I'm told a name to keep an eye on with the Eagles' coaching search. The Eagles are definitely interested in Ohio State coach Ryan Day. That's not news. They should be. When you are an organization that is a mess and in shambles and you're looking for a jolt of energy, especially offensively, you should want him. Now, if the article would have said Ryan Day is interested in the Eagles job and is flying to Philly for an interview, guess what? That's news. Now you got my attention. But teams should be interested in Ryan Day. Why wouldn't they? For sure. But the thing is, are these coaches interested in them? We talked about with Jacksonville with their owner, owner of one and a half, say so, in draft picks. Everything that we're hearing out of Philadelphia with – uh, Peterson beefing with the front office. Basically, the front office wanted to draft Jalen Hurts. The front office wanted him to play Jalen Hurts, and him wanted to stick with Carson Wentz. Like, 
are those situations that these coaches want to go into, like with meddling owners and that type of situation. I, I can understand, like, the GM wants to do certain things. Like, you, the head coach and the GM need to be lock and step. But when you go to a situation with Jacksonville where the owner has ideas about players to draft, like, that's a problem for me, man. Yeah, and see, that's always a slippery slope. Like, when you own a team, it's like when you own a business. We get mad, you know, man, I don't like working for a meddling owner. It's like, well, then don't work there. Like, Urban, like you can't, like if Urban Meyer takes this Jaguars job and then a month from now is complaining because, oh, the owner's not going to let him draft who he wants, then Urban Meyer, I know that they're interviewing you, but you've got to do a better job of interviewing them. So my thing is this, is I know what you're saying, but if Urban does take this Jaguars job, I highly doubt that at any point in the interview process that Urban has not been in communication about what his role is going to be in regards to how much power he has from roster management. These team owners, whether we like them or not, like it or not, at the end of the day, it's their call. Mike Brown, we beat up on him all the time. It's still his team. Like, some random radio boob in Dayton making fun of him all the time. Isn't going to all of a sudden say, you know what, Kenner's right. Maybe we should get an offensive lineman. It's pathetic that even a random boob like me can see that they need to get an offensive lineman, and he can't. Like, that That to me is fascinating. But these guys, they're not going to – it's their team. Even if they continue making the same mistakes, Jerry Jones makes the same mistakes every, all the time. The, you know, the Eagles. They, you know, Andy Reid had one bad season. They fire him. Mm-hmm. Doug Peterson, one bad season, fresh. You know they put, they have a statue of him outside their stadium. You're out of here. Is one bad season, they fire him. Like that's their team, their mistakes. They continue making the same mistakes over and over and over. It drives me nuts. So when it comes to the the Jaguars, sure, if it's their team, it's his team. And if he you know hires Urban and says, hey, it's my way or the highway, it's his team. Uh, whether we like it or not, that's just kind of the reality of it. But no, I think Urban Meyer, if he takes the Jaguars job, Kev. I highly doubt that he takes the job if he literally has zero input or zero power on the roster construction. So I, I will say that. Again, we don't know. We don't know either way. But it is interesting that their, their owner comes out and says, hey, roster construction is my job. That, that's going to be what I do. Con- roster construction might be his job, but who knows how much of Urban Meyer is going to be involved in the process. Yeah, even when you think about the New England Patriots, Robert Kraft has say-so in bringing Tom Brady back because you got to remember – when they traded Jimmy Garoppolo, he nixed it. Like he was like, no, 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 we're we're keeping Tom. So you got to trade Jimmy, like because they were all ready to have Jimmy Garoppolo be the quarterback for New England Patriots. And Robert Kraft stepped in and said, no, Tom Brady's our quarterback. They ended up winning another Super Bowl, so I guess it all kind of worked yeah, out. It worked out. Uh, Chris uh, Shulp on Facebook says, haven't the Bengals drafted an O lineman with the first uh, pick two out of the last three years? Again, how's that worked out for you? How's I, I, and I've said before, I'm not a fan of a rebuilding team drafting offensive linemen. I'm just not. Go spend, spend money in free agency. We're going to get into the, actually, the, the Eagles stuff. This, so the Eagles didn't just fire Doug Peterson out of nowhere for right. losing. Like Him losing is not why they, they fired him. There was a lot of communication issues. The players definitely hated the fact that he never communicated with them at all. Mm. about how they were going to handle the, the final game of the season. And that that wasn't the first time. That there's been a lot of communication issues between him and the roster, which led to, of course, a lot of you know, un, you know know a lot of people being uncomfortable throughout the year. We're seeing a lot of those same trends in Cincinnati, right? Like we were just watching him implode one team, and that coach had a Super Bowl under his belt, and it wasn't good enough to keep him. 
Keep that in mind. Hour two coming up. Who we four five seven nine four six four. We'll open up the phone lines, Kev. We'll take your calls on the other side of the break and continue this conversation. Get more on Facebook that I respond to on the other side. Uh, but yeah, that one more time. It's not news if an NFL team is interested in coaches. Like I've used this analogy before. When if if, if a guy finds an attractive woman attractive, that's not news. That's I mean you should like if she's attractive, she's attractive. Duh. Oh man. I really think that supermodel over there is hot. Well, she's a supermodel. She should be hot. Now, if that supermodel that's hot is all of a sudden interested in you, now <laughs> you have a story for your buddies. Like, hey, man, I just saw this hot supermodel over there. Okay? Yeah, great. No, man, she likes me. She she wants to go out with me. <laughs> now it's interesting. Yeah. So the Eagles being interested in Ryan Day, that's not interesting. Them being interested in Lincoln Riley, that's not interesting. Ryan Day interested in the Eagles, now that's interesting. The, you know, the NFL interested in Urban Meyer last year. I, t- I said the same thing. That's not news. But the second we heard about a month ago that Urban Meyer is interested in the NFL, oh, man, that became interesting all of a sudden. Hour two next. ESPN Radio is Dayton's home of the Ohio State Buckeyes on the hardwood. Football may be over, but basketball is just heating up. Support Chris Holman and his bucket. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410 Wing AM. We have Ohio State basketball coming up for you later on tonight right here on Dayton's home of the Buckeyes, 1410 Wing AM. We'll get to that around the corner. The Dayton Flyers also in action Tonight, 7 o'clock, they welcome in Duquesne. Again, they're coming off of a win um, over the weekend against Davidson. And, you know, it, that was a big game for the Flyers to kind of get things back on track because it started to feel like that was a season-defining game. Like, that that was where you were going to learn about the Flyers in regards to... I, I don't like the phrase packing it in because we know those guys... Like, Jalen Crutcher, those guys aren't quitters. Like, I, But it was a game that had they lost... It may not be them packing it in, but it could be the game that where, whether you like it or not, the season's caved in on you, and there's maybe no coming back from it. But that was a that, that was a huge comeback game for the Flyers over the weekend, and uh, they have a chance to build on it coming up here later on uh, tonight. But it's so strange. The season's been so up and down for them because you get those two big non-conference wins, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. Uh, even the SMU loss felt big just because you were right there. I mean, they have a shot to win it at the end. Um, so, again... Lots of ups and downs. They lose Chase Johnson uh, for this, you know, second straight season again. Uh, you know, him leaving the team once again, and they're having to kind of fill the gaps a little bit. But it's going to be interesting to see how this team builds on what they just did this past weekend with the win at Davidson. Uh, but we'll get to more of that again. We'll be shifting more attention towards the college basketball conversations here in the coming weeks. As I thought about it, Kev, I'm like. You know, I saw that uh, Joe Lenardi uh, bracketology show is going to be coming out. I'm like, well, oh, it's way too early for that. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I feel like we just said, hey, happy new year. It's mid January already. Yep. Like, what is today? The 13th? Yes. The, how? Yeah. The hell? Like, <laughs> we talked about it off the air where in a normal year, we were getting ready for flying to the hoop on Friday, Saturday, Holy Sunday, Lord, and Monday, the MLK march on Monday, and everything like that. It's so strange not to be doing things that we've been doing for so many years. It just feels so out of pocket. I agree. I agree. I mean, and by the way, that that is a huge blow for the city. Uh, you know, Eric Horseman does an awesome job with that flying to the hoop high school basketball showcase every year. And uh, yeah, how many years have they been doing that? Man, uh, shoot, it's been a long time because I can remember like a Vandalia Butler. I mean, yeah, the games yeah, there. That Vandalia Butler. I think that's where J.R. Smith was here. Yeah, the, the amount of play, the play. I mean, by the way, we are not even what two years removed from watching Lamelo Ball 
Right. Ball it out here. And he had a horrible, and I shouldn't say ball it out here. He had a horrible game. People loved watching him fail. People forget that. <laughs> like, uh, what was the team he played for? I, um, The prep team, I always forget. It's going to drive me. Spry Academy. They, they were horrible, Kev. They Like, they got destroyed. I mean, that was a bad, I mean, they got embarrassed, and he played awful. Uh, but I'll never forget that when LeVar Ball walked into Trent Arena and the whole place just went nuts. You know, like I always say, for a guy that everyone hates, it's amazing how loved he is when he walks into a place. I mean, he controlled the room. But regardless, like the amount of talent that we've seen play at Trent Arena over the years, even going back to Vandalia Butler High School for the Flying to the Hoop uh, showcase, I mean, to not have it this year, it's just, and I say this year, but just, again, it's continual fallout from the COVID-19 virus, man. It's unfortunate, but looking forward to when they get it back up and rolling again um, for next year. Definitely. So I want to transition back to this conversation because uh, – you know, a lot of people are getting beat. So Chris says, I said a little bit ago that Mike Brown, of course, just continues to ignore the need for offensive linemen. But Chris brings up a good point. He said, look, three of the last five first picks have been O-line. I'm like, well, again, yes, he's been trying to address it with the draft. But again, by not having a great scouting department, by not having, uh, you know, all the resources that other teams have, it's put this team, it's set this team back. They don't have a good offensive line. Again, I'm preaching to the choir. Again, a typical show. Kenner's already bashing the offensive line for the Bengals. <laughs> Kenner will continue to bash the offensive line for the Bengals until they get one so that you don't have to fear about the career of your new franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow. But the bottom line is with the draft coming up, and you know that's going to be coming up. It's ways away still. But all focus when it comes to the Bengals is going to be on Joe Burrow's recovery. And which, by the way, good news there is it does look like he will be back by week one. Uh, he will not play in the preseason, which, you know what? I hate preseason. I think we learned this year we don't need a lot of practices. You don't need a lot of preseason. You don't need the preseason. There was no preseason, Kev. So there's a lot of things we learned from COVID that we don't necessarily need, that these teams don't necessarily need. So there's that. Um, Chris says uh, you know, the Brown, uh, that Mike Brown's too cheap to get a free agent. Well, I get all that, but that's his problem, and that's your problem as a Bengals fan. So here's the, the question I have. Last week we were talking about the mock draft, the, the first one that came out. And, of course, it, you know, this particular one from Todd McShay has the Cincinnati Bengals taking an offensive lineman from Northwestern in Rashawn Slater. Mm-hmm. A lot of other mock drafts have the Bengals taking a wide receiver. I mocked it. We had uh, James Rapine on with Sports Illustrated. covers the Bengals last week, and he said that he believes they should get a wide receiver. He got torched. James Rapine got torched. They don't need another receiver. They, don't, they, they do not need another receiver. That's what I said. That's what a lot of people said last week. But the more and more I've sat back and thought about it, I'm like, you know what? They do need another receiver. Go get that, go get that skill position player. Provide Joe Burrow with, the wide, with another star wide receiver. I love the T. Higgins pick a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Tyler Boyd. You know, and, and you can always use another weapon. Trust me, the Bengals have the fifth overall pick in this upcoming NFL draft. And we just watched, in my, in my opinion, the best performance from a wide receiver ever. Mm. For me. For me. Uh, for what I've seen. I'm 30 years old. There's probably a lot of 60-year-olds who are throwing stuff at the computer or at the, at, the, at the radio right now. For me, I've never seen a receiver dominate a game like that. Like, that was insane. Randy Moss-esque. Like, that's exactly what we saw from Devontae. Uh, you know, we're talking about Devontae Smith with Alabama, the national title game against Ohio State the other day. He needs to be a Cincinnati Bengal. He needs to be a Cincinnati Bengal. Like, th- there's no excuse. If he is there and he's available and he's there at number five, the Bengals better take him. You spend money in, the, in free agency. Go fine-tune that offensive line there. You don't have time to draft more rookie offensive linemen and hope that they develop. You just don't have time. But here's my concern with what the Bengals are doing when it comes to Joe Burrow. We are starting to see where sometimes teams, it backfires when you give your quarterback a little bit too much power. And then we also see it on the flip side backfire when you don't give your quarterback enough power. 
Example, you have a situation in Houston where Deshaun Watson, who is less than a year removed from being made the second highest paid quarterback in the history of the National Football League, is all of a sudden unhappy. We rip teams if they don't pay their quarterbacks, and then we have a team that does pay their quarterback, and he's unhappy. Why? They go to him and say, hey, we want your input on who should be the next head coach. He says Eric Bieniemy. They don't even give him an interview. They're the only team with a coaching vacancy that did not give Eric Bieniemy an interview. Now he wants out. So that's a situation where, you know, the quarterback's mad because you didn't involve me in the conversation. And then you look at some of the other scenarios where teams involve their quarterback in, in conversations about coaching and player personnel. And I think it's a bad idea. I'm going to go back to Baker Mayfield's second year. You know, when they move on from Hugh Jackson and you have the interim head coach and then, you you know, he had success under Freddie Kitchens. And one of the big driving forces for why um, the Haslam's decided to hire uh, Freddie Kitchens as head coach is because, well, Baker Mayfield signed off on it. Well, how'd that work out? You know, quarterbacks are going to make the best decision for them, and the best decision for them is always not the best decision for the team as a whole. Baker Mayfield made a mistake, but Baker Mayfield never should have been given the power to make that decision to begin with. Joe Burrow signs off on Zach Taylor. think that's a mistake. I don't care if Joe, Joe Burrow had success with Zach Taylor, but the team did it. The head coach, when you hire a head coach, it's supposed to be about the betterment of the team, making the team better, making the team whole. Right? Kevin Stefanski was the best of both worlds for the Cleveland Browns. Not only did he make Baker Mayfield an actual quarterback, he made the Browns an actual playoff team who has a shot to get to the AFC title game with the win over the Chiefs this coming up Sunday. Like That's how important it is to have a good coach. Zach Taylor has not proven that he can win with this group, and don't give me the, oh, well, the rosters haven't been good. I don't care. Good coaches find a way to win games, not six in two years. So Joe Burrow coming out and signing off on Zach Taylor I'm sorry, you're not the GM, Joe. You played 10 games. You played 10 games on a last-place team. I'm not. You haven't done enough to even think that you have enough of a voice to make decisions when it comes to this bad organization. So that's where my question is. At what point do you have input as a quarterback? At what point do you have autonomy to say, like, no, I don't want this guy coaching me? When you're Deshaun Watson. When you're proven in the league and you actually know that you have a commodity, for one, the organization has already invested into Deshaun Watson with the amount of money that they gave him. You would think that, hey, we invested a lot into this kid. we got to make sure that he's happy, too. Now, you invested a lot into Joe Burrow as well. He's the number one overall pick, and I think it's important to include him in the conversation. And you need to consider him in the conversation. Maybe not so much his voice, but you have to consider his talent in the conversation of who your next head coach is going to be. What has Zach Taylor done to warrant being brought back we've had that's a tired discussion i'm not really i'm I'm using that as an example to transition into this the latest mock draft you know so sports illustrated has an article that comes out and we talked about jamar chase the the former teammate of joe burrow Mm -hmm. at lsu very good wide receiver in fact was looked at as a better wide receiver coming into this season had he not opted out than what we just saw from uh of course what we just saw in the national championship game in Devontae smith Devontae Smith is the best wide receiver in college football, and he's going to be one of the best wide receivers in the NFL the second he steps foot on an NFL field. The Bengals, if he's available and you're going to draft a wide receiver, you draft him. Jamar Chase, not bad. If Devontae Smith is off the board, you take him. But Joe Burrow wants Jamar Chase. That's who Joe Burrow wants. And now everyone's like, well, that's who you have to get. That's where you're wrong. Joe Burrow's not the GM. Joe Burrow doesn't make the decisions, and who knows that that's what the Bengals would even do. But if the Bengals purposely choose Jamar Chase over Devontae Smith, that's that's a typical Bengals move, and I think it'll backfire. Like the, so my point is, is we got to stop giving these quarterbacks the power to make these decisions. Deshaun Watson, I do believe, should have that power. 
He's a proven guy. He's taken his team to the playoffs. He's won a lot of games. He's been a part of the ups and the downs, and he's earned that second contract and that max contract. I think he should be involved. You're a rookie quarterback. You're thinking about you. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the success you had with him at LSU. You're going to have way more success with this Devontae kid, more so than Jamar Chase. So, again, the Bengals haven't done anything yet, but my fear is that they're going to cave and let Joe Burrow make that decision. You don't let this generational type of talent at wide receiver go. I'm sorry. That, that'll be a huge So mistake. how much is this just based off of what we just saw? Because we just saw Devontae Smith tear it up versus our Buckeyes on Monday. Like, Jamar Chase had a stat-wise – had a better season than Devontae did. Wide receivers don't win Heismans. You, you, you're so, 100% no, no, correct. I'm like, so Jamar Chase was special. We've seen special wide receiver play for a long time. Devontae Smith is just different. Like, I see that a lot now. He's just, he's <laughs> different. He's it, But he's different. Like, it's just different. There's a lot of wide receiver talent out there. I mean, look, you can get a great wide receiver. I mean, Claypool with, with the Steelers. you got mm-hmm. a great receiver there. Devontae's just different. So that's why I'm like, you, you that, don't that's where that I, That's where I'm at with it because they were able to grab T. Higgins in the second round. I don't necessarily say draft a, a wide receiver in the first round. Like, that defense needs help, a lot of help. That's why I'm saying Micah Parsons for the Bengals. And I know they spent a lot of money in the offseason on defense. And I'm fine with that. By the way, I agree with you on that. I wouldn't lose sleep over that. But my, my point is you take a receiver that's not – Devontae, then I'm going to rip the organization because you let Joe Burrow make that pick instead of you doing what was best for the team. That's where I'd have a problem. I interrupted you. Continue. But you do, you do, you do, do your due diligence. You you take the input of your franchise quarterback. You take he's his not, input. though. We don't know that he is. He is their franchise no, quarterback. He's played they 10 games. Him, they drafted him number games. one. They invested in him. You take into account. It's not saying that, like, all right, what he says. The Jets thought Sam Darnold was their franchise quarterback. How'd that turn yeah, out? Yeah, I'm just saying, like, but you don't take it as the gospel. You hear him out, like, all right, and we do our due diligence because we are the ones going to be making the pick. So if it does end up being you you grade the guys out and you say, you know what, Jamar Chase is the best fit for our organization and what we want to run, then you do so. But, like, when you – because this is what's going to happen. They're going to go in there. The draft combine is going to come down to it, and they're going to start doing the wide receiver comparisons. And they're going to say the same things that were said about – Devontae Smith coming out of high school, is he big enough? Uh, is he going to be able to hold up? Because he's a small dude. He's a great route runner. Like, he reminds me of Marvin Harrison. He's silky yeah, smooth. He, but remember, he was like a two. I mean, Marvin Harrison, if you go back and if you Google Marvin Harrison's rookie year, yeah. he's insanely skinny. Yes. Like it, it, but Randy Moss... A lot of things were a lot of people said the same things about Randy Moss. Well, Randy Moss is six five. <laughs> you're, you're right from that standpoint. And I mean that's the same thing about Devontae Smith. He is about six one ish, about one eighty ish. Like that's great. And I'm not saying he can't succeed at this level. There's been smaller people that have balled out of control in this league that was smaller than him. But those are the things that they're going to bring up. They're going to say like, all right. Well, is he big enough? Is he going to be able to take the punishment in the AFC North? They, the the Steelers are physical. The Ravens are physical. They, the, all these things are going to come up, and then they're going to say, well, remember the last time they drafted a smaller receiver and Ross? Like, all these things are going to come up. Okay. And the same things are going to come up about Jamar Chase. Like, well, how dedicated is he to the team because he decided not to play this year? How rusty is he? You know he hasn't played football in over two and, like a year and a half. Like All these things come up. That's why as an organization, you have to do your due diligence, get these guys on the chalkboard, get them in there for an interview, and see how it rolls out. I don't think you should just say, like, oh, man, look. 
he just put up 200 yards on Ohio State. Let's draft him number one. Oh, by like, the way, if I'm not just saying that. I'm saying that because, I mean, and, and he, vice versa. If he and vice capped versa. it off. The Ohio State game was him capping off what was already a oh, for sure. beyond great season. I got busy so, all season long. So, like, that, that's what I mean. Like, so Trey Sermon, for instance, you know, if we're talking about, man, where should Trey Sermon know? How far should he drop in the draft? That's an example of, oh, man, he got hot the last three or two games of the season that he played. Where should he go? Like, that's not that's not what we're doing here with him. He's been great his entire career. Right. I mean, this year especially, taking off the way he did. And skill position players just don't win the high. It's a quarterback award. Mm-hmm. You know how special you have to be to win that award? I mean, you look at the numbers of Mac Jones. You know how special you have to be as a re- wide receiver to trump your quarterback? Mm-hmm. Like, that's insane to me. Like that, that sports. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, for for him to get to that point, like that, that's special. And I know what people are saying about his size, but by the way, let's be clear here: if this was a receiver with these numbers that went to a smaller school, and I know this may seem like a very simplistic mindset, watch how many cornerbacks from LSU in Georgia and these SEC teams that he went up against all season. Watch how many of them make an immediate impact come Sundays in the NFL right away. Same thing at Ohio State, DBU, right? Mm-hmm. Like Denzel Ward, instant shutdown corner. This is the first time he stepped foot out on the field, you know, whenever he doesn't sneeze and hurt himself. It drives me nuts, which, by the way, he was cleared for, to return this weekend. That's a great thing, by the way. I love him on the field. I don't like him <laughs> off the field. My point is, is, oh, he's too small. He's too small to go up against the cornerbacks and the defensive back in the NFL. He's going up against NFL defensive backs in college his entire career. So I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that mindset of that. No, that that's just what's going to be said. I'm not uh, absolutely. Saying, I'm not and it's being, you should see the comment section. It's being that, said That's now. what's going to be said. So like, all I'm saying is you do your due diligence. You just don't rely on, like, oh, man, he tore up the Buckeyes. Buckeyes defense is good or, well, it wasn't good this year. Or and you just don't rely on what your second-year quarterback said about his former teammate at LSU. You don't rely on any of that. You do your due diligence, and you make the right decision for you. You just don't say, take somebody's word for it. That's all I'm saying. It's like, I, I don't know what they should do. I think they should get Michael Parsons. That's what I think. And then get, you know, uh, a receiver in the second or third round because there's plenty of second and third round receivers uh, in the league. R- rookies can put up eight, 900,000 yards this past season. So, like, there's a lot of guys you can get in that spot. But uh, Michael and, Parsons, he seems like an impact player to me. And I feel bad that I'm even falling into the trap of, getting in this wide receiver discussion. Like, it is typical Bengals that we're even having this discussion because let's be clear, this is a team that's won six games in two years. They've been last place for how long now? Like, it drives me nuts. Like, this team has so many holes, and we're sitting here talking as if they need a wide receiver. I think the reason it becomes a relevant conversation is because if a talent like, uh, you know, we just talked about Devontae Smith is available, you have, to, you have to really, truly do it. You have to pull the trigger on that. The Jets are in that position now. Justin Fields, let's say, declares for the draft. Everyone just assumes that that's where he's going to go. All the shows I've been listening to and talking to, you know, because that's gospel, they say, look, if Devontae Smith, who's a generational wide receiver talent there, and again, lots of good receivers come out of the draft, but this guy's just different, the Jets are in a tight spot now because it's like, of course they need a quarterback, but that wide receiver, that type of talent, you're not going to find that anywhere else. They, The Jets might take him number two overall now. That's how big a game he had. And by the way, with that skill set, he's going to even impress even more people come the Combine. We talked about how the Combine is used for people to maybe rebuild themselves a little bit. Well, the Combine's also used to solidify yourself. And I think that that's what we're going to see from Smith. But I agree with you. This team has way too many holes to consider skill position players like that when you have a T. Higgins, when you have a Boyd, when you have a Joe Mixon. Because all those weapons couldn't be utilized to their max because you didn't have an offensive line, which I don't think you should address in the draft. You also couldn't stop anybody. Right. You have Lamar Jackson in your division that you're going to be going up against for the next 
what, six, seven, eight years? All right? Mock me all you want. You still got to stop the Browns' offense. All right? I don't. I know Baker Mayfield doesn't put the fear into the defensive players of teams. I get that. But let's be clear. He's not an easy out. You're not. You, you have to. You have to build a defense that's going to stop him. That's going to stop Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and Jarvis Landry and possibly OBJ moving forward. This is a Browns. You have to prepare to stop them. You have to prepare to stop Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Big Ben. Who knows what the uh, what the future of Big Ben in Pittsburgh is? But you know what? You still have pretty good wide receivers and weapons there, and as soon as they find a quarterback, they're going to pick up right where they left off, especially with that defense. The Bengals need defense. Micah Parsons, if he's available, that needs to be who you take. Not an offensive lineman, not a wide receiver. Micah Parsons, Kev, I think I agree with you on that. We don't agree on much, <laughs> but I will say uh, we agree on that. All right, four five seven nine four six four. We have breaking news out of the National Basketball Association. Uh, we're going to get to that coming up. One of the top star players in the NBA has officially been traded, and it's not the trade deadline. One of the most interesting teams in the NBA just became that much more interesting. We'll talk about that. Star player in the NBA just traded. Coming up around the corner, it's our 10K payday winning word opportunity. You'll listen for this keyword and take it to wingam.com and enter it for your chance to win $10,000. It's the 1410 ESPN Radio 10K payday opportunity. Breaking news out of the NBA, a humongous blockbuster trade. We'll discuss on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. Justin Kidner, Kev Nash, 1410, Wing AM next. Don't put it off any longer. You know it's time. Time for a bathroom upgrade by Bath Creations. Bath Creations, serving the greater Dayton and Cincinnati area, is a leader in bathroom renovations, providing the best value in bath and shower remodeling. And proudly made in the USA. With Bath Creations, you get a beautiful modern bathroom that is safe, comfortable, and affordable. Attention first responders, veterans, and active military. Save $500 off your purchase. Visit on Poe Avenue in Dayton or online at MyBathCreations.com. And upgrade today. All right, everybody, we welcome you back. We'll get into this NBA breaking news in just literally 60 seconds, but I want to respond. Uh, Josh Nichols on Facebook is not happy, Kev. Huh? He's not. With who? He's not happy. He says, Josh Nichols says, what is going on here? A Steelers fan and a Browns fan trying to tell me that we need anything other than an offensive lineman. Josh, from a Browns fan, from a fan of a team who actually has a real offensive line, trust me, I feel I know how important it is to have an offensive line. But what you can't do is draft another offensive lineman and wait for him to develop. You're heading into year two with Joe Burrow, with a bad head coach, with a roster that's not that great, that, of course, they're going to probably fine-tune in the offseason, but you don't know. You, I know what you're saying about Penny Sewell, but you have no clue what he's going to be. You can say that about any rookie, yes, but there's one position that you cannot hope is going to pan out. You have the only thing that you could do if you were the Bengals is to go sign offensive linemen, not draft them, pay, because that if you don't pay for an offensive lineman, you are going to pay. You are going to pay by missing the playoffs in year two of Joe Burrow's contract. Uh, so he's fired up. He's upset that a Steelers fan and a Browns fan are telling him how his team should be run. But, like, it's not really about that. I mean, you have you have fans of the worst teams in the NFL that look at the Bengals and say, yeah, you need an offensive lineman, man. Like, you do. Uh, you know, and he says, oh, my God, Micah Parsons, wow. So he's mad that, you know, I, I can't believe, Josh, that you don't want your team to have someone that can actually stop the ball. My point is, is I'm not saying that the Bengals don't need an offensive lineman, Josh, and that they shouldn't draft one, but they need to go sign an offensive one. You don't have time to develop. 
and I'll, you don't have time to hope that Jonah Williams ends up panning out. You don't have time to hope that Penny Sewell pans out. You need to go get guys that you know, you know, are, are going to be it. He says, "I'm livid. I'm livid." <laughs> okay, so well, what, what's his well, name? Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, one more thing. He goes on to say, um, he is saying that Sewell is the only answer. If he's not there, you trade back. What is up with this trading back? When you trade back, you get worse players. I, I don't know why you want to trade back. You get serviceable players, but you're there at the top. There's skill players there that you're not going to get further back in the draft that you definitely need. The one thing that the Bengals did in the early 2010s that r- worked for them was they drafted best player available, and that dra- mm-hmm. it drove people nuts. Because, you know, they, they ticked people off. I don't compliment the Bengals often, but when you draft best player available, that adds up after a while. Right. That works. Not all the time, but that, to do that, you have to spend money in free agency. You could draft best player available because you're going to be confident you're going to go spend money in free agency. Here's the other thing. And then he goes, Mike Brown, paying players, never heard of it. Again, your anger is directed at the wrong people then because that's your problem. You shouldn't be a fan of that team then because if your team's not going to spend money on free agency – and yet you want them to draft a player that you have to hope develops, and when if he doesn't develop, like how many of your other offensive linemen that you've drafted, I'm sorry, I have no confidence in that. Here, real quick on this. Here's why it's important, Josh, and hear me out. I'm not trying, yesterday I got into it with a caller and a listener. I'm not trying to do that two days in a row, so hear me out. Okay, <laughs> like We actually want the same things. I want the Bengals to get an offensive line too, so hear me out. You're heading into year two of the rookie deal, uh, of the rookie deal for Joe Burrow. It is so important that you figure this out before the end of his rookie contract. Take a look at this, Kev. The AFC playoffs. Baltimore Ravens, Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Rookie deals. Mm -hmm. Cleveland Browns, Kansas City Chiefs. Rookie deals for their quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield... Obviously, and you know, Kansas City's quarterback. Have you ever heard of him? No. Yeah, he's pretty good. You know, Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, rookie deal. Now, Patrick Mahomes has been paid, but keep in mind, him being paid, he hasn't been the contract's still set up to where they could still spend money. That's why they were able to go out and spend as much money as they did. And that's it's, why they did it early. It's not a coincidence that the teams dominating the league right now have their quarterbacks on rookie deals. The Browns have Baker Mayfield on a rookie deal. That's why they were able to spend money on all their offensive linemen, on Conklin and these guys. They were able to, you know, OBJ, whether you like that they got him or not, the point is they were able to get him because of that. Uh, you know, they were able to get Jarvis Landry and spend a good chunk of change to get him. They were able to do that because your quarterback's on a rookie deal. So Joe Burrow... You head into year two. If you don't spend money, you draft Sewell and you hope he pans out, and then he doesn't. Now you have Jonah Williams, who's a project. You have Penny Sewell, who's a project. Now you don't have an offensive line once again. Uh, you, you know, so that, that's a problem. For me. Go out and spend money on the four short things, and then when you have your offensive line because you spent money on it, now it's fun. That's why the Browns are having fun. Hate the Browns all you want. Hate Baker Mayfield all you want, Bengals fans. But the Browns are having fun because they have the best offensive line in football. And now Baker's able to go just sling it around all the weapons he has around him. Imagine Joe Burrow with an offensive line, and you have Devontae. All right, you have T. Higgins. You have uh, Tyler Boyd. You have Joe Mixon. Oh, my God. I don't. I mean, I, I love what the Browns have, but that offense is as good, if not more lethal, if Joe Burrow pans out to take that next step from what he did in his rookie season. So, Bengals fans, I'm not ripping your team. I'm actually I'm, I'm pulling for them to get an offensive line, but stop drafting them because you're not good at drafting them. Every year, you're right. Uh, Chris Schulp a little bit ago said they get they try to get an offensive line every year. And trying is the key word, and they fail. So, I'm not going to trust them to take an offensive lineman in the draft. Go pay him. Joe Tooney, local kid. Go get him. Go, go, go get, he's a free agent. Go get, go spend money. Make sure that that offensive line is going to protect Joe Burrow because you could rid the Browns organization all you want, but it's no coincidence that the second they spent money and invested in that offensive line, things took off. They had OBJ last year. 
They had Nick Chubb last year. They had Jarvis last year. They had Higgins. They weren't good last year. What's the difference? Oh, yeah, that offensive line. The offensive line is the glue that glued everything together. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Kev, what was your response? One thing, man, like we can be fans of our team. You can be a fan of the Browns. I can be a fan of the Steelers. But I pride myself in being able to take the sports team fan hat off and just look at it from a clear landscape. It's obvious that the Bengals need help on the offensive line. And to regurgitate what you said, if you're able to shore up your offensive line through the draft like other teams do, that's a good thing. You will want to build through the draft. But it's evident that the Bengals have shown the ability not to do that. Is it maybe you're drafting the wrong guys? I don't know. Is it that your coaching staff can't coach these guys up? I don't know. Whatever the problem is, it ain't working that way. So why don't you try something different? Why don't you try getting somebody that's already been in the NFL for a number of years, has their grown man weight on them, has experience in the NFL, and protect your young quarterback and build around the offensive line? Look, we love to talk about wide receivers. We love to talk about quarterbacks. But without the trenches, the guys up front, the offense and defensive linemen, you get nowhere. If your offensive line is garbage, you will do nothing. If you can't get a pass rush, your defense is terrible. I don't care how many Deion Sanders you have in your secondary. If you can't get a pass rush, you're useless. So those are the foundations of a team. So you build your offensive line up, and then you can get a different wide receiver in the second round. Or you can get a big-time running back or something like that, but you get an experienced offensive lineman, and then you can take your choice of the new toy for Joe Burrow to play with at number five. Or you can sure up the defense with a Micah Parsons. I don't care that he didn't play this year. It was smart of him not to play this year. Penn State wasn't winning the national championship. The only reason Justin Fields and Sean Wade played this season because they thought they had a chance to win a national championship. They made it to the national championship. It didn't work out in their favor, but guess what? A lot of other dudes opted out this year. Uh, What's our guy that single-handedly beat Ohio State? Uh, from Purdue. Oh, from Purdue. Uh, the, oh, Rondell, Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore. Who opted out and ended up playing this yeah, year. Yeah, he opted out, opted back in, and then opted back out and realized, yo, I'm out of here. This is pointless. Put your left foot in. You put, put your, your left, left foot in. Like, <laughs> like, so, like, is the defense, if you can get a, a defensive player like a Micah Parsons on your team, you do it. Yeah. You do it ASAP. And because guess what? You're, you're not going to get him. He's going to go to somebody else. Maybe he'll end up with my Pittsburgh Steelers. And then you'll really be sorry because uh, Bud Dupree is a free agent, and I don't think the Steelers are going to pay him. They have a few offensive line positions that they're going to have to be, you know, figuring out too. So keep that right. Uh, real quick, and, and, you know, where did this go? Oh, so when he, uh, David Shaw says, "How is Patty Mahomes on a rookie deal? Didn't he just sign for five? Yes, he did, but he's on year four. Yeah. And my point was is that the Chiefs have already won a Super Bowl with Patty Mahomes. In his rookie deal. This is year four. Yes, he signed that max extension, but keep in mind, he's already paid. The rookie deal already covers your fourth year. That money will go into effect starting next year. Like, yeah. you're going to start to see the Chiefs a little, you know, it's going to be difficult for them. But that's why I'm like, Cleveland, all the weapons they have is because Baker's on a rookie deal. The Chiefs, same thing. The Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson's fantastic. All their money's on the defense because their offense isn't that great, but all their money's on that defense. That's why they have a chance to win. And the Bills, and you, you know, that's why they were able to go out and get Stephon Diggs. They were able to go out and pay good money to get these weapons to provide for him because he's on a rookie deal. These four teams, all right, that right here, 
They're not all four going to be great here in the next couple of years once they pay their quarterbacks, unless you have a good organization. I don't trust Cleveland to be good here in three years, even if they pay Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield, because I need to know that they're going to know how to spend the money. Now, someone just said, well, if you look at the NFC, those are all veteran quarterbacks. There is no rookie. There's no team in the who, – who are the rookie quarterbacks in the NFC that we were looking at saying, oh, man, they're, they're on the rise. The NFC East was garbage. All I right. guess Kyler Murray is the young guy in the NFC. And and but guess what they were able to they were able to go out and get um Hopkins. Hopkins. They were able to spend and they were improved, but again you have so but if you look at like the Packers, they have flaws. They have a quarterback that makes up for the flaws. You look at the Rams, they made a mistake paying with it, but right now they have a lot of pieces from the defense that they were able to acquire over the last couple of years while they were had while they had the quarterback. To be fair to Jared Goff, he led them to the Super Bowl and it was the re- he During, was the re- the rookie year. Yeah, and then the and they paid him. And and now you look at his contract, it's not even crazy compared to what Mahomes has, what Deshaun Watson has. It's like, all right, well, that's we can manage that. And yep. it's almost like the Rams are playing with the salary cap off because they just paid Jalen Ramsey. They just paid Cooper Cup. They just paid somebody else big money, too. Like, they're out here spending money. I don't know where they're getting all this money from. Well, the problem, <laughs> they have no, they have the money, but they also, where the money comes from is, they don't have like a first round pick for another two or three years. So that's now, right. so that's because right. they don't have those first round picks, what that was so what happens is when you don't have those picks, you also don't have guaranteed money going to those right. first round picks because it's expenses. I mean, they're they're cheap deals, but that's still you know allotted guaranteed money. You don't have first round picks, so now you don't have to the money that you were going to throw towards those first round uh, picks. Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. Yeah. How could I forget they paid him? So that's all. <laughs> so my, my point is is that it's very important to sum up the Cincinnati Bengals wasted your one. They're on their way to being a last-place team in the division again next year based on how it's set up. Maybe third maybe third in the division of the Steelers. I don't see the Steelers taking a that much of a step back, Kev, right? Like, I don't see them going from, you know, I don't see them winning the division, but I don't see them falling to last. So that's all. Urgency needs to be there. So I don't have time for, for Penny Sewell. And then, of course, the, the Bama fan, Robert, he, he says that uh, Jonah Williams isn't a project. Does any Bengals fan out there love what they got out of Jonah Williams this year? I think it's the simple situation that they're going to the Bengals. It's kind of how we talked about with the Browns yesterday. The perception. The thing. perception. Like if Penny Sewell was going to Kansas City, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, now they got the best left tackle in college with this offensive line. It's going to be even crazier. Like, that's how we would perceive it. But since it's the Cincinnati Bengals and they've tried to address the offensive line so many years through the draft and it's failed, that's why we look at it with the stank eye. Josh Nichols responds and says, NFL experts are saying that Sewell could be the next Anthony Munoz. And I have seen that, by the way. Uh, I don't see how a top three projected overall player that is an offensive lineman could be a bust. How many of the offensive linemen that the Bengals have taken over the last 10 years have been projected top three offensive linemen? Let's be clear, man. Anybody drafted in the first round can be a bus. Yep. I consider, like, look, I don't do the whole, like, oh, man, he blew out his knee, he's a bus. I don't do that. But, like, there, there's no guarantee. Like, we've been talking about Trevor Lawrence since his freshman year. Like, oh, man, he's the best prospect since Andrew Luck and this, that, and the third. Yeah, we think that until he gets on the field. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I know it's such a simple way to think, like the show-me type of thing. But, like, yeah, he has talent, but the NFL ain't college, man. It's just not. It's a different beast. Like, I could go on and on and on and how different college football is from the NFL. I can nerd out about the hash marks not being the same. I can nerd out about, like, oh, man, this every they practice day and night about how to stop you. The the ability of the linebackers to drop in the coverage is ungodly. Like, I could go on and on. So we don't know. Anybody could be a bust. Let's be clear. This is a compliment. I'm throwing a compliment towards the Bengals. You ready for this? 
if they get an offensive line, their offense is as good as the Browns, and I would feel more comfortable with with an offensive line for the Bengals. With Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Mixon, with an offensive line, I trust that more than Lamar's Ravens offense, assuming that, you know, depending on who they go get offensively to put with them in the offseason right now. The, the Bengals are close. That's why I'm saying, like, the only thing that is holding you back is that offensive line. You, They would have won. I project, and that's the thing Bengals fans forget. Remember, you thought I was nuts. I projected the <laughs> Bengals to win eight to nine games last year because I believed in Joe Burrow. I liked the T. Higgins uh, signing, uh, the, the draft pick. I, I love Tyler Boyd, and I like Joe Mixon. So I was like, man, if that offensive line pans out, that offense is good enough to get you seven, eight, nine wins in a season. And why didn't it get them there? Because they couldn't, that offensive line couldn't keep them upright, couldn't get any consistent drives. The defense is going to be bad. I don't, but if you have a chance to get Micah Parsons, you have to do it. That's all. I don't think you should draft an offensive lineman. I just don't. So there's that. All right, folks. Uh, we teased the NBA breaking news, <laughs> but I, I wanted to clarify there. See, so, you know, yesterday I yelled at a caller, yelled at a listener, but that's fine because he talked down to me and I don't like him. <laughs> But I like I like this Josh guy because he had passion, he had energy, and he, he he even said, you know, he didn't call me a p word. I think that's where I think that's why I like Josh. He hasn't called me a p word at least on social media. He's probably called me every name in the book right now on the you know in his you know car wherever he's listening. But he, how, how's a Browns and the Steelers fan going to tell me what I need? <laughs> it's like, well, the Brown, hey, the Browns are in the playoffs, baby. You should take advice from me. You should take <laughs> advice from the Browns fans. How bad is life when the Browns fans are like, hey, you need, let me talk you off the ledge. Let me tell you how it's going to be. Anyways. All right, folks. By the way, looking forward to, we got the bet set with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Mm-hmm. I bet that the Browns would beat the Chiefs on Sunday. And everyone's like, oh, typical. Kinner always does. I gave a, I, on a scale of one to 10, how would you grade my explanation for why I believe the Browns can beat the Chiefs on Sunday from yesterday's little soliloquy? Uh, about an eight. Plus three, right? Eleven. <laughs> no. Uh, again, it's not guaranteed. I'm not guaranteed, but I feel confident that the Browns. You know, so I saw this graphic. I was watching Get Up today, and I had to run to my TV to take a, a you know picture of this. The Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs. How many forty point games? Who who do you think had more forty point games? Based on how I'm asking, I'm basically giving it away. But uh, I know the Browns had three. Browns had four. The Browns have four forty point games. The Kansas Tennessee. The Cowboys. Cowboys. And I'm drawing it's a Including the playoffs. So the most recent Steelers. one with the Steelers. So uh, who was the, the fourth one? Baltimore. Oh, Baltimore. that's right. That's right. Okay. The Kansas City Chiefs won 40-point game this year. Uh, how many? Which team do you think had more three touchdown quarters? KC. Let's just be clear. The Browns have more than the Chiefs and all these things. I'm <laughs> the Browns have had five different quarters this year where they have had five or more touchdowns. Or three or more touchdowns. The Kansas City Chiefs had one. 50-yard plays. The Browns had more 50-yard plays than the Kansas City Chiefs. Four for the Browns, two for the Chiefs. The Browns offense, remember this is why I said yesterday, if this offense had any other jerseys on, we would be praising them way more. The Browns stigma is keeping fans from buying into what this offense is. Like we, it drives because people hate Baker, they hate the Browns, and they, it ticks them off that they have to acknowledge that this offense is actually as explosive as the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not saying Baker's as good as Patrick Mahomes, folks. I'm not, but offensively, this Browns team is as explosive as the Kansas City Chiefs, and it drives people nuts. But I'm not wrong. Remember, when you doubt me, just know that Kenner is never wrong.
But I just gave you the numbers. This offense is as explosive as the Chiefs. But because Patrick Mahomes, MVP, Super Bowl MVP, you should feel more comfortable with that team led by him. That's all. Run game advantage Browns as well. Offensive line advantage Browns. Advantage quarterback, though, by a, by a lot, though. Kansas City, <laughs> I, I will say that. All right, folks, we'll be back in a moment. The Nets acquired James Harden the from the Houston Rockets. From the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets also acquired Victor Oladipo from the Pacers. Not sure what went on in, Indi- in Indiana with the Pacers, by the way. I like Oladipo. I liked yeah. him. I, I don't know what happened. I mean, they, they, they were a playoff team with him. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. But the Rockets just traded one of the best players, on paper at least, away and somehow got significantly better. When the Thunder traded away Russell Westbrook, they got worse. When the Warriors moved, when the, when the, when they the, got better. They did not get better. Yeah, they did. Had a better record the next season. They, they were not better than without the, No, no, no. Yeah, they were. I don't give a S-H-I-T what you say about that. They, they were not better. They were not better without Russell Westbrook. They were not better without yeah, they Russell were. Westbrook. They had a better record. I don't care about the record. They were not better. I would not. Nope. I'm good. Blood pressure coming down. I'm so not how get do you argue define about it. Hold up. I was on a roll. You interrupted me. <laughs> I don't like that. Uh, anyways, where was I going with it? Just go to the damn commercial break. See, you got me thrown off. You just hate Russell Westbrook. Me? Russell I Westbrook love Russ. rocking triple double. I love Brody. Yeah, they're, they're, there's no way they were better without him. No way they're better without him. Well, how do you talk the association it? when we come back? from Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. Make sure you subscribe to the WING for live here on ESPN Dayton. All right, everybody, welcome back. Justin Kenner, Kevin Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station. Dayton Flyers fans, yes, the Flyers are in action tonight, 7 o'clock. They welcome in Duquesne. Again, more A-10 play coming off a win against Davidson over the weekend. This coming off of really two bad losses that they're just trying to kind of shake themselves off mentally. They, they want to forget that they lost to Fordham. They want to forget that they lost to LaSalle. They put that behind them. They stepped up, had a huge win over Davidson this past weekend. They want to keep that momentum rolling tonight as they have, of course, Duquesne coming up, 7 o'clock, the tip off. Uh, the big one for them. They're six-point favorites, uh, according to the line on ESPN.com. Now, keep in mind uh, more Dayton Flyers headlines here. Obi Toppin has not played since the New York Knicks' first game of the regular season. Obi Toppin uh, has been listed as probable for tonight's Knicks game against the Brooklyn Nets. Knicks and Nets 7 o'clock on ESPN. So Obi Toppin back in the lineup. You have a chance to watch Obi Toppin's return. Uh, 7.30, I'm sorry. 7.30 tonight, the Knicks and the Nets. Obi Toppin listed as probable. Uh, and, of course, he met with the media today. Obi Toppin, you know, talking about, of course, that he's going to accept any role that is given to him. Keep in mind, the Knicks went out and got Todd Gibson back. If you remember, they had Todd Gibson in the offseason. They, they brought him back uh, because, you know, Obi being out. And, and, again, so keep in mind, they're preparing for whatever this injury is if it continues to get worse for Obi. I hope it's nothing too serious that keeps him out too long. I'm excited to see Obi back out on the floor later tonight. Uh, he says, growing up, watching KD and Kyrie, having the opportunity to play against those guys, it's a blessing. Uh, it would be a blessing for the Nets if they could actually get Kyrie Irving out of the damn floor. <laughs> um, but speaking of the Nets, breaking news out of the NBA, a blockbuster, a blockbuster deal uh, that in, sends James Harden to the Nets. Mm-hmm. 
the Nets, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, they have been just dominating the headlines over the last couple of years. When you look at the fact that they go and get Steve Nash as their head coach, they were able to, to have signed Kevin Durant after going to three straight NBA Finals, winning two with the Warriors. Now, you know, signing with the Nets, Kyrie Irving, another big signing over the last couple of years. Of course, he's been a headache. But right now, the big three that you have in Brooklyn, you hope, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden, those are three of the most strange personalities from a talent if we're just talking strictly talent Kyrie Irving one of the best in the league no doubt about it Kevin Durant arguably at times the best player in the league James Harden arguably the best scorer in the league and one of the best scorers of all time but the problem is is they all have their weird little quirks like James Harden is not a good teammate I don't care the way the way he just bulldozed himself out of Houston uh throwing all his teammates under the bus saying stupid things like I've done everything I can no you haven't you know you, you have not. You what have you done? You haven't won anything. You won an MVP. Congratulations, individual award. Yes, you need good teammates to let that happen. But guys can't play with you. How many t- how many star players did Houston bring in to try to pair with him to win games? Couldn't win with him. You know. Then their their general manager leaves. I uh, know now with, now with Philly, mm-hmm. but everyone blamed him. He did everything. He he did what you want every GM to do: bring in stars to your team. They couldn't play with Harden. You know, and now you have a big three in Brooklyn that I think is going to be a big disaster. Kevin Durant's making burner accounts, arguing with people because you know he he pays too close attention to what's being said on social media. That's not what you want to see out of your star player. It drives people nuts, you know. But it hasn't kept him from being able to ball out and be a great player. But you know that there's something there that you know he's salty, man. Like you know the interview he did with Chuck and Shaquille O'Neal on TNT a while back, like constantly being in the headlines for the wrong reasons. You know it's just embarrassing. And then you know Kyrie. Put a bolo out on him. You can't find him. No one knows where he is. He just doesn't show up to work, doesn't communicate with his team, and you know what he's doing, and what he's doing is, and if I wish he would use this platform as a way you know, to really bring attention to the cause that he's trying to help raise awareness for. But now we're not talking about Kyrie Irving fighting for social justice reform. We're talking about Kyrie Irving not communicating with this team, his coach not knowing where he's at, the general manager not knowing where he's at, Kevin Durant not even knowing when he'll be able to play with Kyrie Irving again. That's what we're talking more about. Even when he tries to do something good, it becomes a disaster. Kyrie Irving is he, hes chaos everywhere he goes, and it's unfortunate. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden, this should be a championship team. Their personalities will be why they implode, and I think it's already imploded because you don't know what you have with Kyrie Irving. We thought that the Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook big three wasn't a good trio. I'll take that trio over this trio in Brooklyn any day. Man, it's so many places you can go with this. I'll start with KD. The KD thing was weird, the whole burner account thing. But we just got to realize, like, that's how people are nowadays. Like, people are combative. Name one people, other person. I'm just saying, like, there's people out, like, real live people. It's just because he's an NBA superstar. That was super corny. Like, if you're going to go at it with people, go at it with them under your real Twitter account. Like, that. that's super corny. Um, I said this before with his whole interaction with Chuck and Shaquille O'Neal because he's done interviews prior to that and after that with other people in the media where he wasn't short. Um, I like and I, I don't know this for a fact. This is just an opinion of mine. Maybe it had things to do with Chuck's ignorant comments about the Breonna Taylor situation because he's done interviews with uh, Taylor Rooks. He's done interviews with uh, Will Bond, and he didn't act like that prior and post. But they never yet. said anything bad about him. No, no, not about him. 
but the Breonna Taylor situation in but general. But that's why but Chuck did say something bad about him, about criticizing him leaving, the, you know, going to the Warriors right. and all that. So it, it's pettiness. I'm with you. If, if he's mad at Chuck because, you know, he didn't, you know, he felt like, you know, Chuck didn't represent himself properly in the situation that the NBA as a whole is trying to come together mm-hmm. to raise awareness for, I'm with you. But I'm not going to give Kevin Durant that credit because he's too petty to let that be the reason that he was short with him. Very, very fair. By very the way, short. that was funnier than hell, though. I don't care. <laughs> when they had Chuck, when he gave him the one word answer and Chuck just stared at the camera and then you see Shaquille O'Neal put his hand over his mouth and starts dying laughing. I'm sorry. I, though, that show is the best, by the way. Like there are so many times where I'm in tears laughing, especially when him and Shaq really get 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 under each other's skin and they start bringing up the no titles and all that stuff. Like that show, <laughs> I love that show, man. It's great. As far as James Harden's concerned, this is typical NBA superstar unhappy stuff. The only thing that isn't typical is him being fat. Like people that follow the NBA knows that James Harden he likes to party, and people that actually knew James Harden from his high school days knows that James Harden was fat in high school. So he got into great shape going into the bubble. Everybody was like, man, he must have been working out. He's on a mission and everything like that. He must have not lifted a weight, shot a basketball, done anything after he left the bubble because he's fat. He was fat when the season started. He's fat now. So he's got to get in shape. Fat uh, shamer. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being fat, folks. I enjoy no, my we, life. We're, we're, I enjoy being out of, sh- out of breath, walking up the stairs to my office every day. There's nothing wrong with being fat. Well, when, you're, when your job is to be in shape, that's a problem. So the Kyrie situation, the Kyrie situation is very difficult, especially for myself, because I'm a person that believes that, hey, man, we're individuals for a reason. Kyrie is a quote unquote free thinker, which is fine. You know, you don't have to agree with him thinking the earth is flat. That's fine. You know, people are entitled to their own opinions and all these type of things that make him a unique personality. And I'm cool with that. But what I do have a problem with is. Him wanting to reap the benefits of being an NBA superstar and not putting in the actual work that it requires to be an NBA superstar. And part of that responsibility is interviews with the media. Part of that responsibility is showing up to practice, showing up to games and telling your coaches and organization when you're not going to be there. You know, in the NBA player collective bargaining agreement, they have personal days in there. They have mental health days in the NBA players' contracts. If you need mental health days, if you need time off to go handle some personal business, you have every right to do that. But just going MIA, not talking to somebody, that's wrong. And I liken it to our job. If we need time off for a personal reason, we can't just not show up for work. We can't just say, nah, we ain't going. We have to reach out to our program directors and let them know, like, hey, man, this came up. I'm not going to be in the work today. And it's going to be fine. Is, you know why it's going to be fine? Because people understand life happens. So you're 100% correct when you say Kyrie, the things that he's fighting for, for social justice, him fighting for, you know, he found out that, you know, his mother was Native American and he's trying to help out that cause and everything like that. I'm with all that type of stuff. But you still have to go about doing things the proper way when it comes to your job. Like it or not, the NBA is a job. And you have to let your team know. And plus, you throw your teammates under the bus because they're asking, where's Kyrie? The media is asking, where's Kyrie? How come Kyrie didn't play? You're throwing your rookie head coach underneath the bus. It's a lot of rookie coaches on that coaching staff. Steve Nash is a rookie coach. Amari Stoudemire is also on that coaching staff who's a first-time coach. I mean, you got new teammates. Obviously, Kevin Durant was there last year, but he didn't play last year. So this is his first time being back on the court. And we all know that Kevin Durant is seems to be a laid-back guy, but soon he gets on his phone, he turns into Twitter fingers. 
So he's really expressing himself through Twitter and everything like that. So it's a lot of ins he's and outs. He actually ends up being Tim Smith from Arkansas on Twitter. <laughs> That's who he ends up becoming. So it's a lot to unpack here, man. And obviously everybody's going to go to like, well, can these personalities mesh to win the NBA championship? I look at it on the basketball court, and people say, like, it's only one basketball. How can they share? Look, Kevin Durant's skill set is he doesn't need the basketball to score. He can play the catch-and-shoot guy all day because he's got one of the best jumpers I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Kevin Durant's a very good defensive basketball player, so I'm not worried about Kevin Durant. His skill set is crazy. He'll, he'll be fine. James Harden, when in shape, has shown the ability to play off the ball. He's shown the ability to be a slasher as opposed to a super dribbler. He showed that ability not only in college, but his early days in OKC. The player that I worry about is Kyrie. Kyrie has never not played without the ball. That's terrible English. Hope my mom isn't listening. But Kyrie has always had the ball in his hands. And Kyrie has shown an unwillingness to pass the ball to LeBron James. So... It's, 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 it's a lot to unpack there with this whole Nets. I'm looking forward to it, man. NBA Twitter is real. I'm here for it all. Yeah, you know, the one narrative in basketball that I'm really just over, there's only one ball. Let's be clear here. Milwaukee Bucks average 120 points a game. Right. The Washington Wizards average 120 a game. The Brooklyn Nets already averaged 118, and that's with Kyrie missing so many games, and that's before James Harden gets there. All right, the Portland Trailblazers, who we know they have, you know, Dame Lillard, we know they have good offensive pieces. They average 117. They're not really looked at as one of the sexiest offensive teams in the NBA, and they average 117. The Denver Nuggets average. My point is, is you have teams averaging 115 to 20 points a game. Mm-hmm. You have the big three now. I don't care who the big three is. You can have any big three in the league. You can have three different players average 30 points a game and still have 30 to 40 more points to work with with your role players and your bench. That's mm-hmm. more than enough. How many, how many teams have role players that, that combine for four points a game? Not many. So when people say that there's only one ball, it is the most overused narrative in basketball, and I can't stand it. There's only one basketball. Do you realize that Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden can each average 30 points a game? It's Ninety. Not, that's not, and there's still a, there's still forty more points a game to account for for your bench and role players, which is more than enough. So I hate when people say that. Oh, that ain't gonna work. If it doesn't work in in Brooklyn, it's not because there's only one basketball. It's because there's so many wacky people. <laughs> All right, and and you know what? We're probably it's twenty twenty one. Probably not the most politically rec- correct way to say that. So I apologize. But the point is, is those are three different personalities when. It's not that there's only one basketball for the three why it won't work. It's because all three personalities will clash. That's why. The talent won't clash. The talent should be what leads them to a title. It's the personalities. That's why they're not going to succeed. But we got to stop people with this. There's only one basketball. I mean, every offseason we do it. The Lakers aren't going to go get him. There's, they already have LeBron and AD. There's only one basketball. Okay, you can go. You can literally have four players averaging twenty-five points a game and still have another twenty points to work with with your bench. You are. It's fine. Yeah, the, I mean, the one basketball is not going to be why the Nets implode. It's you just, just saw it with Golden State. You saw it with Clay, Steph, and KD. They were yep. able to make it happen. Um, it's just a really all about sharing the basketball. You know, and everybody right, he says that the Warriors were one of the best passing teams ever with all of that talent, and because it, everyone when people because here's what people think, Kev. There's one basketball. And they think that, okay, there's three scores. So that means Kyrie Irving, 
he's going to have his 10 to 12 shots a game, right. and it's going to be Kyrie Irving in isolation with everyone standing around doing nothing. And then it's going to be James Harden's turn to isolate, which, by the way, that is the only way James Harden can score because that's all they ever do with any. <laughs> but then Kevin Durant can score all over. The point is, is the Warriors found ways to, I mean, they found ways for everyone to get their points within the offense. That's why Steve Kerr, I still think everyone just tries to undermine what he does as a head coach. He, they, they played in his system and got mm-hmm. those points. It wasn't just, all right, roll the ball out and just play Y ball. All right, they played in the system. The Nets are going to have to do that. Well, they respect Steve Nash to buy in. But, yeah, you know, when you have that many scores, the one basketball, the passing game is going to be what's going to be impressive for them moving forward. But it's the personalities, man. That's why it's not going to work. But stop with the there's only one basketball thing. That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me, at least. So pass, the ball. pass the ball. Yeah. Did you used to pass the ball? No. <laughs> But to be fair, no one passed me the ball either. Schrody, 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 you was a gunner. He was a gunner. Schrody was good. He was putting up the shots. Yeah, he wasn't passing. No, oh, let me tell you something. Okay, I sucked. Cut the so music. I only got no, no. Play the music. Play the music. And Schrody's like, whoa, yeah, whoa. Let me tell you something about Schrody. When I would get when Mark Ashman would put me in the game. It was garbage time, for one. Let's just be clear. You know, I could shoot. That's it. If a team's playing zone, I'd get in. But I would get in at garbage time. Let's be clear. Okay? That's my time to shoot. Right. I hated, like, me and Schrody get along now. He does know this. I'm going to tell him something right now. I hated playing with Schrody the one year we played together. The one year, because when it would be garbage time and Mark Ashman would put me in the game, that's my time to score. Right. And then there's Schrody out there, coast to coast, getting rebounds, taking it from coast to coast, because he's going up against the other the opposing team's Kenners. And I'm like, <laughs> no, dude, that's not how this works. Pass the damn ball. Kenner's open. Now, let's be clear. Have you ever met a shooter that's not open? Facts. I'm open. I'm open. Everyone's open. But, yeah, that, that was that, that's a jerk move, Schrody. You know, you play the whole game. Kenner gets in his limited minutes, and then you're not going to let him score. Oh, yeah. Oh, it drive me nuts. I'd have a wide-open layup. Schrody in the fast break. Give me the ball so I can get a layup at least. No, pull up jumper. Then he'd make it, which would also tick me off. Anyways. That's my legend. No one gives a rip about that. Shorty said trying to break records. There you go. See? <laughs> All right. Uh, John Lasseter on Facebook, or Joe Lasseter on Facebook says, not a Bengals fan, but O-line needs improvement to compete. Watch Browns and Bengals. Uh, but I'm a Cowboys fan uh, for my dad. Uh, so there you go. We're going to transition back into the NFL a little bit, but an interesting you know dilemma in the NBA again. Uh, the the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, and they're on ESPN tonight against Obi Toppin and the New York Knicks. Obi Toppin uh, listed as probable, but will play tonight, uh, according to all reports I'm seeing on social media at this point. We just don't know how much. Back to the NFL. Uh, we'll discuss you know this again, getting more reaction to some of the NFL stuff uh, about the Browns and the Chiefs coming up this weekend. I'm telling you, like uh, this game is. Cleveland should not be favored, but they're not. Out. This isn't a situation where this is a foregone conclusion that Kansas City is automatically going to the AFC title game. To the haters, they are. To people that know football like me, <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Let me. I'm going to educate people. I'm going to continue to educate people on just how special this Browns team is. They're more explosive than the Chiefs. The, the stats back it up. We'll be back in a moment. Catch the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. You can catch it live right here on 1410 Wing AM, or you can stream the show at wingam.com. But now, we have another way that you can take in the show. You can now watch the Justin Kinner Show with... All 
everybody. We welcome you back. It's the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. Uh, you know, it's interesting, and uh, of course, right as I say that, uh, right as I tell you it's interesting, I can't tell you it's interesting now because the numbers just uh, uh, went away, and I don't have them in front of me. I'm going to scroll one or two more times to see if it pops back up. I hate when it does that. So bottom line, I don't have it in front of me, but the the Knicks, the Cavaliers, uh, there was like five teams listed at, that had total payrolls ranging between $97 million all the way to $115 million or $110 million. The Brooklyn Nets right now, their big three alone, $117 million combined between Kyrie, Ooh. Kevin Durant, and James Harden. Three, $117 million com- you know, combined payrolls for those three. The, the combined payroll for those three is more than a lot of teams' total payroll in the NBA, like the Cavs and the Knicks and others. Uh, so keep that in mind. That's interesting. You know, and earlier, to go back to what we talked about where I said I get tired of in the NBA, anytime that there's a, a big three that's put together, you get the same tired excuses of it's not going to work. Why is it not going to work? There's only one basketball. Do you realize that, like, and I was thrown, thrown off by this too. The Milwaukee Bucks average 120. There's five teams. The top five scoring teams in the NBA average 115 or more points. So I'm like, okay, well, what's a good defense in the NBA? The Cleveland Cavaliers, from a points-per-game perspective and how much they give up, have the number one defense in the NBA. You know how much the Cleveland Cavaliers give up? And they're considered, like, this is considered good in today's NBA? 104 points a game. I was going to say 105. I was close. That's 104, no, 104 even. 104 points per game they give up. The Knicks give up 105. The Lakers, 105. Uh, the Mavericks, 105. Utah, 106. Like, that was considered bad in the 90s and early 2000s. I mean, a good points per game average in the NBA was, you're talking like 93, 94 points per game in the early 2000s and the 90s. And in the defense, if you hold a team to 70, 80 points, that's great. Now when you hold a team to like 88 to 90, that's considered a, just a beyond great night at the office defensively. Like, that, that's crazy to me. You don't get those defensive efforts until the conference finals and the NBA finals. Uh-huh. You don't start seeing scores like that until then. Um, the way defense is played nowadays and the way the game is played nowadays, for that matter, obviously the three-point shot. People are shooting way more threes. But it's all about those super analytics. It's obviously, it's always been about turnovers. But it's also about shooter percentage and forcing your opponent and running your opponent off the three-point line and all those type of metrics and things of that nature is just different. And, like, the whole lockdown defense, like the Detroit Pistons with uh, Richard Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, and Ben Wallace, and Rasheed Wallace, and uh, Prince, like, you're not going to see that again. Like, it never goes backwards, you know what I mean? It only goes forward. Like, the days of three yards and a cloud of dust in football, that's never coming back. Like the days of 55 to 65 NBA basketball, that's never coming back. People like scoring. People like to see the ball go through the hoop. People like the freedom of movement. Like that's why they don't have hand checking. That's what brings viewers in. Points brings viewers in. Excitement brings viewers in. Defense is exciting to the casual viewer. Like the basketball Jonesers out there who just can't get enough NBA basketball or basketball in general, they love to see great def- great defense. The great defense the casual fan likes to see is the chase down blocks, the steals in open court that lead to dunks. So that's why rules in the NBA are catered toward the offense of having free player movement. You can't bump dudes off the cut anymore. It's a foul. It might be a flagrant foul. And see, but you know, I lo- that's why when people say, "Oh, the NBA players today couldn't play back then," what well, you can reverse that. The players in the '90s could have played today's game. 
Those players couldn't shoot. Like, if you can't shoot, you can't stay out on the floor. Andre Drummond, now the talk, who's very good, a mm-hmm. very good post player. Andre Drummond would have been a perfect early 2000s, 2000s player. And now the Cavs are looking to move on from him because they want JaVale McGee. They want the quicker post players who could run the floor and, and provide you a little bit of a shot presence that you, you know. So my point about that is, is I love when people say, well, James Harden, these players today couldn't play back then. Those players back then couldn't play. Now, stars, well, they'll go from generation to generation. Stars will be stars, okay? I'm talking about the bulk of the NBA, though. Today's players could, and by the way, I don't even necessarily agree that today's players could, you'll adjust. You know why? You can adjust to physicality. The players today could play in the 90s. I don't care what anybody says. I hate, that's a stupid comment. Oh, the players today can't play in the 90s. Yeah, they can. You know why? Because you could adjust to physicality. You know what you can adjust to? You know what the players in the 80s and 90s could not adjust to today's? You can't adjust to skill. Players couldn't, they, they didn't shoot that many threes in the 90s because you, there just wasn't guys capable of hitting that many threes. It's not like the guys from the 90s would come in today's game and just automatically shoot. It wouldn't, that, that wasn't the game then, so they didn't play. You can adjust to physicality. You know, even Michael Jordan had to adjust to physicality. I was watching the documentary again. I think when I when I was so a, you watched two things. You watched the do, the Jordan documentary. That's great, man. That documentary and, is awesome. And, uh, Breaking Bad. Those but, are the two things you watched. But he talked about in, in preparation for Detroit. Michael's like, man, you know, and this is a guy that was averaging thirty a game, averaging so many points. He had to put weight on. Mm-hmm. So he, he started pumping out. Why? Because what can you do? You can adjust to the physicality of the game. Oh, LeBron, he he wouldn't be tough enough. You mean the guy that's built like a freaking you know freight train? He couldn't he couldn't survive in the nineties. Give me a break. You know, Michael Jordan, he he couldn't handle the physicality of the Pistons. You know what he had to do? Put weight on. Boom. He could then he could go at the at the Pistons. My, that's why I hate when people say that today's NBA players couldn't play in the nineties. That's the dumbest, laziest take ever. Yes, they could. In fact, the players today you could view as having better overall games than the 90s. So th- that's all. You can't take 90s players, put them in today's game, because they don't have the skills to play in today's game. I'm not saying MJ people. People are losing their minds because I'm not talking about the stars. Like I said, MJ could play in any generation. LeBron could play in any generation. Steph Curry could play in any generation. Right? Here's the other thing that's interesting. I'm counting one, two. There's four players right here that average more than four three-pointers made a game. Let me look at three-pointers. Forget the three-pointers made. All right? Three-pointers attempted. Steph Curry averages 11 three-point attempts a game. Attempts. Uh, C.J. McCollum averages 11 attempts a game. Buddy Heald from Sacramento, 10 a game. Damian Lillard, 10 a game. Hell, Portland has two players who average 10 10 plus threes a game. You want to know what the average three-pointers taken in the 90s was? I want to say probably like four. Nine. which oh, is for team? For team. As a team. Yeah. Okay? As a team, NBA players in the ni- NBA teams in the 90s averaged nine three-pointers a game. Okay? Nine a game. Right now, you have the Portland Trailblazers who have two players alone who take that much. Not the rest of the team. The alone. Like, yeah, I think you're talking about, I'm looking <laughs> no. at my, No. That's insane to me. So, again, I don't even know how we got into this conversation, but I'm going to say it one more time because I need it to sink in for people because everyone has this mentality of, oh, the game today is just – it's different today. It's free-flowing. It's it's different today. But it's different today because the players are more skilled. If you have players who can shoot, if you have players that can run the floor, if you have players that are super athletes, why do you want them to stand still? Why would you take the best athletes in the world and tell them to stand there? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You have the best athletes in the world. Run your ass off. Take advantage of your athleticism. Jump through the damn arena if you have to. Shoot. These are the best shooters in the world right now. What I so will, I'm a big fan of that. What I will say is the physicality is a thing, and 
part of the reason, and I will say even the high percentage reason why the Cleveland Cavaliers were able to come back and beat the Golden State Warriors is because they turned the game into a, a physical game. When they turned up the defense and just said, we're going to grab you, we're going to bump you, we're going to – we're already down 3-1. Okay, we lose another one. What's We were going to lose, so who cares? So that physicality does take a toll on people, especially in the playoffs. In a Tuesday night, Portland, you get up and down, it happens. But, like, in a, a series, when you get that that leaning on you, if you just watch that series over again – the game was super free flowing. The Cavs won the games that were played below ninety points. Golden State won the games that were played in the one tens and one thirties. So the physicality of the game it does take a toll on you, especially in a series. And you just look at how when Steph Curry was running those baseline screens and everything like that early, like the Cavs were trying to like go around them and stuff like that. By the time game four, probably game five came around, they just ran through him like ref you call it or not and eventually the refs just start eating the whistle like i was watching this interview with iman shumpert and he said like f it follow him every time like that tyron lu told him that he's like just follow him every time they're either gonna call it or they're not he is like i was like it's times out there i was kicking him when he was shooting the ball i was hitting his hand every single time they weren't calling it so it's not a foul like so like physicality definitely still plays a role in basketball. We just saw it. Yeah, happen. it's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like like so that that's that's my whole point about it. I I, I try not to just say, all right, this is a definitive thing. This is for sure what happened about things because there are always instances where like, look, man, we got evidence right here where the more physical team beat the more skilled team. And that that's just what I'll go to. But I mean, I love the NBA, man. Like, I just love I love the obviously I love the game, the interaction between the players and, and the fans on Twitter. There's constant highlights. These are things that baseball is lacking. Baseball doesn't have MLB Twitter. Like NBA Twitter's a thing. When oh, something no, they happens, they do. And it sounds like you went to a study lounge <laughs> at a college. Oh man, did you did you see the plus minus ABC square that uh, Joey Votto had to? I mean, my goodness, it's like a. Uh, I can't go there. Never mind. It just needs like I don't know what baseball needs to do, but the NBA is fun. Like we look at, I don't know how much you've been watching early NBA basketball, but Lamelo is looking like he can play. Oh yeah. yeah, it's looking like he's he can play some basketball, and you look at how Gordon Hayward is playing with the Hornets, and everybody was bashing him getting this big contract with them. He's looking like how he used to look when he played with Utah. Like th- that's what makes the NBA great because a player can go to one team and suck, and then go to another situation and ball out again. So I'm in love with the NBA, man. I've yeah, see, always been in love. It's with funny the NBA. about baseball because you're right, paying a star player like. You you look at Philly, who signs Bryce Harper. They haven't made the playoffs since he got there. That's what I'm saying. But, oh, man, that that's interesting. Because now that I'm thinking about it, when an NFL team signs a legit player, they're, in, they're, they're instant difference makers. Like, the Cardinals this year didn't make the playoffs, 
But damn it, they were right there. Right. They were right there. They were better than they were a year ago when they got Hopkins, right? Like mm-hmm. when you go get star players, that makes a difference. Uh, you know, in the NBA, when you get a star player, you're instantly better. It makes a difference. When you put a star on a team, it makes a difference. When you take a star off, it makes a difference. In baseball, you pay a gajillion dollars to get a Bryce Harper and you don't make the damn playoffs. Right. And the team that lost Bryce Harper wins a World Series. And the crazy part like, is, that's not, you're you, like, you, you pay a Bryce Harper or, or um, our buddy out there in Los Angeles all this money because they're, they're, they're the big-time guys in baseball. They're the name brands. And you pay them to Mookie put... Bats. Yeah. You pay them to put butts in seats, and then a pandemic happens. Yep. So you can't put butts in seats. So then what? Yep. Like, and, and me and my buddy were having this conversation about Francisco Lindor being traded to the Mets and everything like that. And the Indians' payroll being $22 million and everything like that. And I was like, look, man, they can't, one, they can't afford it. And two, as good as Frankie is, it's not going to have that return on the investment. Frankie Lindor is going to get somewhere between 200 and $300 million. Like, he's great. It's awesome. But is that going to get you a World Series? Shoot, they had of $65 million payroll the year that they went to the World Series with Frankie Lindor, with the best pitching staff in baseball, and they still didn't win it. So why would you end up giving all your money to one guy and then you not win anything? Like, it's only going to be so long you can go watch Frankie Lindor go two for four and like, oh, man, he had a great catch. I want to win games. So tearing it down and rebuilding it up in baseball on a lower payroll seems like the way to go. Unless you're like, obviously, the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Mets. And see, that's the other thing, too. I'm looking at NBA payroll, like team payrolls. You get what you pay for. Like, in baseball, that's not always true. Right. Like, it, 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 you got to spend money to give your Like, in baseball, you got to spend money to give yourself a shot to make money. In the NBA, you spend money to make money. When it, more time doesn't always guarantee a championship. You could buy a playoff team. Yeah. Like you could buy. You can't buy playoff teams in baseball. Nope. It's tough. You can't buy playoff teams in baseball because no matter how many home runs he hits, it don't matter because whoever the pitcher is that night, if he stinks up the joint, you're going to lose. Yeah, like it's. I'm looking at all these. Teams. I mean, you look at the Lakers title uh, team, the Clippers title team, uh, you know, Lakers a title contender, Clippers a title contender, Philly a title contender, the Milwaukee Bucks looked at as a contender out of the East. And I'm going down the line. Every team, the top five teams in payroll, they're all title contenders. You get what you pay for. The teams after that may not be title contenders. They're all playoff teams. Portland, okay? You look at Memphis. You, I mean, go to New Orleans. New Orleans took on a lot of money from the Lakers when um, when they traded that, you know. Yeah, they just yeah. gave Brandon so, that contract. Uh, you, you know, just going down this. I mean, Toronto and who they paid um, their guy last year. Who the, it's going to drive me nuts now from the title Landy. from the uh, Yeah, they paid. So playoff team. Um, you know, so every team that spent Dallas Maverick, every team that spends money, like there's not a team that's not in the playoffs that is in the top ten in in in, in money spent in baseball. How many players are on high paid players on teams that don't make the playoffs? Hell, you have Mike Trout. Arguably the best player of all time statistically. His numbers are on pace to him be the best of all time. He's made the playoffs once. That that that's insane to me. But yeah, literally just I'm sitting here thinking about that. I'm like, that that's crazy. That that's baseball's biggest problem is that right there. Is the fact that you can't you're not guaranteed anything. Like right. ba- basketball, you spend money to make money. That that's interesting when you look at a big picture. We're all over today. By the way, Ron uh proving that he knows about as much about basketball as he does football. Uh he says today's NBA is touch football. Okay. Okay, Ron. Thank, thank, thank you for <laughs> thanks for your contribution, man. Like I show. tell everybody who's 
rags on today's NBA, you're missing out. You're missing out, man. This is entertaining. It's fun. The players are awesome. You're missing out, man. I know you grew up in a certain era and basketball was played a certain way. Guess what? The football you watched back in the day isn't the same way it's played today either. You know, people that grew up in the 80s and maybe even grew up on the Steel Curtain Steelers and everything like that, you can't cross the middle and hit somebody in the crown of the head with your helmet anymore. Like, it's freedom out there. Like, receivers are running scot-free. You really think Tariq Hill will be running these over routes in the 80s and 90s? No. He would get blasted and murdered. But he's able to run freely because the game has changed. But you love it because he's scoring touchdowns, right? It's the same thing in the NBA. Like, we love Steph Curry because he's able to move around freely and shoot the ball and show his skill. They've taken the physicality out of the game for for the fans to enjoy. So I understand why people can still love the NFL with all their changes to make it more entertaining for the offense and not love the NBA because they did the exact same thing. All right, four five seven nine four six. Yeah, teams averaging twenty. You know, this is why too. By the way, I'll give like the nineties Bulls playing today. Like we always do the oh, could the nineties Bulls beat the Warriors and stuff. Like the nineties Bulls team, the nineties. Like I'm going to use the ninety five team, ninety six team here. Average twelve. Uh, they averaged uh, thirteen three point attempts a game. Teams today average thirteen makes a game. Like. I'm not saying that they have no shot of winning, but to act like, oh, those teams in the 90s would dominate today, they, they wouldn't dominate because although the skills of the guys that they have, where are you going to get your three-point? If you think you could beat a Warriors team with Kevin Durant and all that without a three-point shooting threat, I'm sorry, you're not doing it. I don't care if you have Michael Jordan. You're not doing it. I don't care. This isn't my bias against MJ with LeBron, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Like, I see what you're saying. That, that's all. I, I get what you're saying. As much as I'm a... Michael Jordan fan, I still believe that I want to say it was the 2000 Lakers or the 01 Lakers, whatever, whatever, it don't matter. In, in between one of their three pieces, as much as I'm a Jordan fan and I believe that he's the best of all time and everything like that, I don't think there's any team that would beat the 2000 Lakers. Like the year that Shaq averaged like 45 points in the finals against uh, the Kembe Mutombo and the Sixers. Like, Dikembe Mutombo was the defensive player of the year and averaged 40 on him. Like, look, man, I don't care how many threes you shoot. If you give it to Shaquille O'Neal in his prime, they're winning. Like, dude, like, I mean, you can shoot 40% from three. Shaq was shooting 70% in the paint. I'll take the 70% chance of making two of you making 40% of threes any day. All right, four five seven nine four six four is the number to call in to join in on the conversation. The fourteen ten ESPN Radio ten K payday, a shot Money. to win ten thousand dollars. We have that for you coming up on the other side of the break. When we come back, I'll have your winning word that you will take to wingam.com. When I give you this winning word, you enter it at wingam.com, and uh, that'll give yourself an opportunity to win ten thousand dollars. Again, it's the fourteen ten ESPN Radio ten K payday, starting at seven a.m. every weekday, once an hour. A keyword will be given out to uh, the. 1410 ESPN uh, ESPN Radio listeners. You enter that at wingam.com. And, of course, you can always enter more than once. You can always enter every hour. So make sure you take advantage of that. The more you enter, the more you have a shot uh, at winning the $10,000 hairs. We'll be back in a moment. 457-9464. More of the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash next. Hi, Mom. Football fans, the Sunday morning. 
Tailgate Show is officially back every Sunday morning starting at 1130 a.m. College Football Hall of Famer Keith Byers and Justin Kinner will be live at Frickers on 741 by the Dayton Mall. The guys will recap the biggest games from college football Saturday, including your Ohio State Buckeyes. The guys will also get you set up for the day's playoffs. All right, everybody, we welcome you back. Justin Kinner, Kevin Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station. We get to your calls in 30 seconds. Want to go back to the Facebook reaction real quick. Uh, Uh, David Shaw, of course, this goes back to our Browns conversation. He goes, I've bought into the offense. I can't buy into that defense, and that's what has to stop the Chiefs, not the other way around. No, David, if if, Shaw, if you actually go and research, the Chiefs' defense is the exact same as the Browns. They give up within 10 yards of one another. They give up the same amount of yards per game. They give up about the same amount of points per game. They like they, they they and the Chiefs can't stop the run. That just so happens to be the Browns' strong point. Actually, the Chiefs have no run game on their offensive side as well. I'm not here to tell you that Baker's better than Patrick Mahomes. I am here to tell you that the Browns' offense is as explosive as the Chiefs' offense. And as much as we're going to sit here and talk about the the fact that oh the the Browns don't have a defense to stop the Chiefs, the Chiefs' defense is as bad as the Browns, and they have to stop Cleveland. Cleveland's offense has, has dominated better defenses than what they're going to face coming up on Sunday. They just put up 40-plus points against Pittsburgh's number or number two pass rush defense. Pittsburgh's one of the best passing defenses in the NFL. Cleveland was fine. They didn't overwhelm Baker. Baker didn't th- turn the ball over. He threw three touchdowns. Uh, Baker threw for over 300 yards against the Ravens, another top passing defense in the NFL. And they have one of the best run defenses in the NFL, and Cleveland put up 40-plus points on the Ravens. So, again, we can try to spin this all we want to. Oh, man, the Browns aren't going to stop the Chiefs. The Chiefs have to stop the Browns, too. And to be fair, there's not a defense in the NFL that can stop the Chiefs' offense. It's not about stopping Kansas City. It's just about keeping up with them. And if all Cleveland has to do is keep up with them, Cleveland has had more games scored over 40 points. They've had more quarters with three or more touchdowns. All right, They have more big play pops down the field. I'm telling you, Cleveland is as explosive as Kansas City. Hate them all you want. It's the Kansas City Chiefs defending Super Bowl champs. Of course, they're the favorite they should be. But if you really dissect the numbers, Cleveland is as explosive. Where the Kansas City has the advantage of is at quarterback. Where Cleveland has the advantage of is at running, is their run game. Both offenses, the two best offenses in the AFC are going head-to-head. 457-9464, we're talking NBA, and, and I don't know how we got into it. It started with the Brooklyn trade, again, getting uh, acquiring James Harden in a big trade, which I, I think it's, the NBA is always interesting. It's even more interesting now because we're going to keep an eye on that soap opera moving forward. But I start getting on the Facebook feed, oh, that today's teams are, ba- are, are bad. They couldn't compete in the 90s. I, I think it's the other way around. All right, like are today's teams as physical as the '90s? Absolutely not. But you know what you can adjust to? Physicality. You can get stronger. You can get faster. You could become tougher. You could do all those things. You know what you can't do when you play in the '90s? You can't just magically turn into a team that can knock down uh, 13 threes a game. You just can't. The Chicago Bulls averaged 13 three point attempts a game in '96. I don't necessarily believe that. I just I know that. that. We no. know that. Well, just the numbers the, prove it. No, that, that what you're saying is they can't. I think they're showing that that's just how the game was played. They didn't shoot a lot of threes. 
How you agree with me earlier, then you turn around. No, and I, do I, I this didn't now. agree with you. I'm saying like they didn't shoot as many threes They're because shooting. they couldn't. You no, don't. No, you don't do something no, that you that's, can't do. That's not how Why do you think teams don't throw it into the post in today's game? Because you can't. Because the game is different now. The game is different because the players are better. They're more the skilled. The game is different. The skill is better. They can shoot better. The game they, has everyone evolved with the brain that talks different. basketball knows that basketball the shooters are better in today's game. That's not an opinion. That's common sense. Okay, if you have Shaquille O'Neal in today's NBA, he's not shooting threes. He's going to dominate in the post. The dominant players will dominate in every era no, no matter what. I'm We're talking about the league as the, a whole. The, the game was different. They was played mm-hmm. in, inside out. Now it's played outside in. I just mm-hmm. think that's a factor of how the game is played. If I would, I would more look at, at shooting percentage to say, like, all right, if you're hitting – if they're shooting 13 threes a game, and this is just that throw out a number, they're, they're hitting five of 13 threes, and then like, all right, well, now they're shooting 25 threes a game, and then they're hitting 12. Like, that's a more of a the percentage. You look at the percentage and say, like, all right, at this clip, they're hitting this about the same percentage. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think, like, you could just arbitrarily say, all right, they didn't shoot threes because they couldn't make them. I just I don't can't. Go they watch did, they did, AAU in they the nineties. They kids didn't shoot, shoot them. But the AAU in the the kids weren't trying to be three point shooters. Right. Up, but they are now. So that means now, if the players of the nineties played in today's game, they would not have the same amount of three point shoot opportunities. They wouldn't have the same shooters. They wouldn't have the same class. It's just of skill how the players. game was played. The game was played inside out as opposed to I know outside that. in. So I, they're not shooting them because the that's how the game was played. It's just the evolution of the game. But you take today's players back in the nineties. Today's players will take their three-point shooting ability. There'll be more three-point shooters in today's game going back into the 90s. There'll be less three-point shooters in the 90s coming to play in today's game, and they couldn't play in today's game as many of them because of that. So how come you think that the players today could adjust to then and the players then can adjust? Because you can adjust adjust to physicality. Well, if you're shooting shooting more threes now and then you start shooting more threes, if you're shooting more threes now, that means you're going to hit more threes. Just because you didn't shoot them doesn't mean you couldn't there's make more, them. There's more, there's more quantity of great three-point shooters in today's game than in the 90s. That's why they say Steph Curry's revolutionized the game because For everyone sure. was trying to be him. For sure. No one was trying to be him in the 90s. Even as great as Reggie Miller and, and Steve Kern, those three-point shooters are from the 90s, no one was trying to – Not the masses weren't trying to be them. So you didn't have as many – players to pick from to be those yeah, three-point when, shooters when the today game, the there's game, plenty that's what i'm saying the game has changed the game has morphed into something that's totally different where the majority of the shots are shot behind the three-point line but in the players in those days they were shooting inside the three-point line saying that's a, oh this is a higher percentage shot now you start doing all the number crunching to say like well if you're shooting a two-pointer from uh 22 feet you might as well shoot a three from 24 feet like those those things are just an evolution of the game i won't necessarily just say like, all right, they can't make them. That's why they weren't shooting them. It's just not how the game was played. If you you have a three-point line and you have a bunch of players that can hit that shot, why would you not have players, uh, why would you not gather as many players as you can that can hit that shot to score more points? Because at the end of the day, basketball, if you just dumb it down, the team who scores the most points wins. Because the more efficient shot shot is to give it to the person closer to the basket. Sean Bowen says, we're arguing the same point with different perspectives. No, we're not. I'm right. <laughs> He's wrong. Chris Shope, of course, today's players are too soft to play in the 90s. Again, Chris, you are the you are the face of lazy takes when it comes to basketball. Today's players are too soft to play in the 90s. Are you kidding me? And I think that the players in the 90s aren't skilled enough to play in today. So there's that. You know, like I said, if you think that the players are too soft today that they couldn't play in the 90s, you know what? You can adjust physicality. You can. You, it, that's fine. And by the way, physicality is not a skill. Yes, it is. No, it's not. 
By the way, a skill in basketball. Screw your damn eyes right now, by the way. My God, that just pissed me off. Let's be clear. Why do you get so angry, bro? How can you get angry and say being physical isn't a skill? It's not a skill because a a non-basketball player could be physical. It any, is a any, skill. Any, no, that's why you see, uh, you know, that's why you see basketball players like go to the NFL because toughness is toughness. You could be tough, like you, you can get stronger, you can get faster. You know, some guys can't get, they can't shoot. You, can't, you know, those guys in the '90s couldn't shoot. And by the way, I refuse to say, oh, these players couldn't play in the '90s because those guys were, those teams were better because they were tougher. I'm sorry, Detroit, you're trash because you didn't have a good enough players to beat, you know, to to outplay Michael Jordan. So, so the, if you, so if you Cavs resort, was, so the Cavs is trash because of their tactics to beat the Warriors, right? Oh, the one time they beat them. The one time they beat them, they literally got their asses kicked for how many straight years? Because they but couldn't. they beat them. But they beat them. But it wasn't because they were out physical. Yes, you, it was. Both teams are not talking about physicality from the nineties. They, it wasn't. they turned, the Jordan rules for the Warriors. All I, of a sudden, I, I, came those out. are your words. I never said that. You keep. You're the one that keeps invoking mm. Michael Jordan to every conversation. Not me. I said that. The Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the reason why they beat them, and your precious LeBron James also said I'll it. I'll say my because, precious LeBron James. Because, because, LeBron James is the best player of all time. Your because, precious Michael Jordan, they two. turned up the physicality on the Golden State Warriors, and the Golden State Warriors couldn't handle it. It is something to be said about physicality. It is something to be said about the way Troutwood, a local team in town, plays basketball versus other teams in this city, why they turn the ball over because of the ferocity and the intensity and the physicality that they play with. It is not only intimidating. It is not only the physicality of the game and forcing team, forcing people to back down and invoking fear. That is a skill. That is 100% a skill. Look, how's that a skill? It is a skill. No, not, not people who can't shoot could be strong. People who can't shoot could be, I mean, no, no. <laughs> I guess we're not going to get to the callers. We are going to get to the callers. Let's go to Tim. Tim, thanks for holding. How are you, sir? Tim, you got five seconds. No, he, I'm giving him more seconds. Tim hung up anyways. Tim gone. We'll get to Tim tomorrow. Good question. Oh, who we got? The Is Browns, this Tim? If the Browns have such an explosive offense, why do they only score 400 points this year? What? If the Browns have such an explosive offense, why did they only score 409 points this Average year? 25 points a game, sir. What the Packers do? Five hundred. They scored 100 more points. Not really sure what the Packers have to do with this conversation. Well, you're talking about the most explosive offense you said in the NFL. No, I said in the AFC. And the last I checked, the oh, Packers are not in the well, AFC. Okay, well then I'd have to say, hey, look, I like the Browns. Okay. I want them to lose to the Chiefs because I just want to see Mahomes against Rodgers. I want Rodgers to beat Mahomes. But the Bills scored over 500 points this year. Mm-hmm. They're in the AFC. Uh-huh. The Buffalo Bills scored over 500 points this year. They're in the AFC. Yep. Okay. I'm still taking Cleveland's offense over the Bills. They're the more. I think Cleveland's offense is more well-rounded. I think that the passing Steve, game for the Bills is better, but I think that the overall offense is better. The Browns is better. And one other thing, Pro Football Focus has got the Browns as the number one offensive line. Mm-hmm. But Packers have got two starters on the Pro Bowl. Cleveland has one. Packers have got two starters, all pro. Cleveland has one. Now they got a couple of backups in there. But I think that's also neck and neck. And I do think it'd be a good idea to build from the draft, you know, with an offensive line. Now, if the Bengals could get uh, that receiver from Bama, I would do it. But I'd hurry up and try to get one of these guys. Because look at what Quentin Nelson has done for uh, 